By the way, we need to do a cheers officially as part of the yeah, okay. uh, episode, episode <laughs> for the thumbnail on YouTube. <laughs> Finally, man, cheers. That's why I've been doing this for a long time on the podcast, and finally you did it, yani. So yeah, anyway, the dark world of uh, crypto. Okay, um, uh, most of it is dark, honestly. Um, uh, just today, I was speaking to a friend um, who sent me uh, a proposal uh, of a company that's established in Dubai, like established in Dubai, co-founders based out of Russia and other persons, like somewhere in Europe. Um, and he wanted to put like $10,000 And it's like a yearly lockup on this coin. And um, after a year, they get like 60% or something, or like 60% a month, I don't know. Um, but it's locked up, and you're paid in that native token. Uh, so it's like very similar to a lot of, you know, DeFi or a lot of other legitimate areas. But like, these people are clearly opportunists. Like, you look at the white paper, um, and it's like what consensus mechanism they used and what technologies they used and a bunch of stuff. And they just picked every buzzword, you know, SegWit, you know, um, uh, Kekak. And, and like they just combined everything they know about crypto into like one white paper. Um, and I, I, they don't have mining, they have minting. Uh, like to be, to be half a fad, yeah, me, so that it's cooler than um, mining? Uh, maybe it's a thing. I, I just don't know if okay. it's a thing, but like minting tokens. Oh, mintings, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you just create money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You create tokens, like, and they're like saying, yeah, minting is much more energy efficient, and they're on their own blockchain that they mint, which is weird. But then they say they use proof of work. It's all weird. So they're coming to Dubai to start to hustle people for money, just that same way a lot of scams happened in yeah. 2017. Yeah. And I wish it was like start to hustle. You know, like uh, this friend who had called me asking me, like, is this legitimate? Um, he's only interested because he knows other people who have invested. And this is something that happens psychologically, that um, if you invest in something that's kind of shady, even if you're a good person, you kind of want to shill it. Yeah. And you want to get other people to invest because it kind of validates your choice. Like, yeah. even if you're wrong, at least a lot of people were wrong with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. if you're not wrong, then yeah, you get to make friends, uh, money with friends. So. so what's so dark about this uh, story aside of the shady white paper? Because I think this is... Um, uh, no, just the fact that like these people are pretty intelligent people. Mm. You know, in their day jobs, they do make... Like they have good careers, yeah. Um, and it's just no one knows, and yeah. and you kind of when you're deep in the weeds, you forget how like superficial uh, everyone's knowledge of the yeah. space is. Yeah. You know, uh, everyone trades, yeah, um, but no one knows anything about like the underlying technology, um, what can be done, what can't be done, and it's kind of like an end of cycle phenomena. Like in 2018, um, at the end of like the last cycle. Man, like it was just a disaster. Like, uh, like what are some of the craziest things that happened at the time? It's not crazy. It's just like if you thought about this for longer than 30 seconds, you probably wouldn't have started this company to do this thing that is very ridiculous. And it's clear you've started a company, found investors, and like have been roadshowing this, and you probably haven't thought about it. This longer than 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like I was on stage at a, like a, a like a event, like we were shilling at the time. So like obviously we were doing every event we could. And we didn't um, introduce you. So like real quick, you raised 30 oh million yeah, dollars yeah. during the last ICO 2017. Yeah, in the ICO phase. Um, uh, we wanted to tokenize financial assets, which we kind of did in Abu Dhabi under like ADGM's framework. Um, I like to say this a lot, but not a lot of people agree with me. But um, Tokenizing financial assets at the time was kind of like if it was like 1994 and you started scanning books and putting them on the internet. Wow. Ebooks is cool. 
It's a great use case, you know, but it's not like the coolest thing you can do with the internet. The right. coolest things you can do with the internet live on the internet. There's no real world analog counterpart. Okay. Um, you know, like social media, Twitter, writing, you know, like a limited amount of characters as a message and posting it for everyone to see. Maybe it's a bulletin board. That's like the closest analog thing. But it, when you have that scale and that kind of, yeah, the internet, um, the coolest stuff you can do is native to the internet. Some would argue that Twitter is another form of like what was used to be a town hall or whatever it is yeah. um, in real life. But uh, so but I thought, I mean, until now, the tokenization of real world assets, which is what you guys initially endeavored to do, is now coming back and it's alive and well. And a lot of projects are trying to do it. So I don't think it says any... No, no, it's probably it's, it's very, very... More exciting than you make it sound. Yeah, but like, for example, the derivatives markets are always bigger than the actual spot markets and so forth. So whenever you have an increased level of abstraction, the market tends to be bigger mm. and everyone looks at like tokenizing financial assets and they're like oh there's like 38 trillion or whatever the number they you know quote is of this happening so when this comes on chain it's going to be a massive industry but um man like on ethereum like i can create a security you know if i connect it to chain link or a, let's say a, a certain oracle of data But I can create a security that every time it rains on a Tuesday, you pay me $10. And every time it snows on a Wednesday, I pay you $50. You know? Like the beauty of smart contracts. Yeah, man, like you can create anything. And it's hard for me to imagine a world in everything that we've created without this technology is going to be more valuable than everything we can create with this technology. Is it because because a lot of people talk about the fact that it's cheaper. Others talk about the fact that it's uh, not governed by a center entity. So there's some freedom. and, and uh, so like, which, What is it about it that makes so it so like exciting? The tranche build like the equivalent of what's known as a collateralized debt obligation. Mm. Like if you've heard of mortgage-backed securities, yeah. um, uh, they're a form of a collateralized debt obligation. Mm. Um, and in the real world to do that, like you need an SPV to receive the monies and whatnot. You then need a credit enhancement agency. You need a guarantor. You need an investment bank to sell the securities. You need a bunch of lawyers to do it. Uh, and the entire process costs you like close to a million dollars, if not more, depending on the size of everything. Um, when we build crypto CDOs, we don't even talk to the person providing the underlying return. We just code, we look at their code, and we integrate. And then after we build it, there's like no operational costs. No one has to oversee like, oh, this guy paid his mortgage and we collected this much money and this is how much we owe investors. Um, it's all done, mm. you know? And because it's all done, now you can afford a level of complexity um, that the, the costs aren't scaling, right? Right. Um, so now you can get much more complicated and it's all just gas fees. Right. And so the, uh, the gas fees are the cheap transaction, the what should be cheap transaction fees. Today they're not. But then in addition, what, the uh, mining fees, right? So the validating of transactions that has a certain amount of supply and inflation. Because without that, you ha- any transaction fees would not cut it on their own, would it? Um, or uh, gas so fees? Like, for example, in, on Ethereum, um, uh, like Ethereum is just gas fees. Like it's split into like a, a, t- a base, I uh, forget the terminology, but it's now after like the fork that happened, I think in August, August 5th, the London hard fork. Yeah. Um, now the fees split into something that's burnt permanently and then something that goes to the miners. But the concept is pretty uniform. Like uh, Ethereum has inflation. Mm. Um, so um, there's that plus the gas, right? Yeah. But... Um, Yeah, like generally, um, it's never going, like gas fees are high for us now, Mm. you know, 
but um, like I don't want to pay seven hundred dollars to like withdraw five hundred dollars. Yeah, but imagine paying like seven hundred dollars to withdraw a billion. You know, that's not much. That's not much. Yeah. Um, so I do believe like something like Ethereum is probably becoming much more suited for like an institutional player. Yeah. Um, because an institutional player is also paying for like the security of the chain. Yeah. And the more decentralized it is, the less I have to trust the counterparty. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, they're perfectly okay paying those gas fees. Initially, you were telling me about the dark stories of, of crypto, right? So at the end of 2017 was the end of the cycle that you were still at the time raising $30 million for your, for your uh, project at yeah. the time. Uh, um, at this point, we had probably raised and like I was just like angry at the state of the industry like we were working really hard and uh we were a pretty legitimate project we always managed the funds well uh we took it super seriously we considered it as if like it was vc money or something yeah um but man there, there was a project next to me on stage and they wanted to move uh wine tracking to be on chain uh and the reason was like wine fraud is like such a massive thing um and I was sitting right there and like, I think like I may have sighed a bit too loud or something because the, the person who was presenting actually like looked at me and asked me like if I had any strong feelings about it. <laughs> no way, no way. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, <sighs> you know, uh, no way. I was like so defeated at this point. Like if you know me well, I'm not like the most sociable creature. <laughs> Politically um, correct. Yeah, my co-founder does most of the outward. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you racing. straight up told them like, yeah, this and they're like, what do you think? I was like, honestly, it's ridiculous. Like, um, how do you plan on tracking these bottles of wine? And he was like, with QR codes. And I'm like, very cool. Awesome. Uh, how does how does wine fraud happen today? And they're like, uh, they remove the label and then they put like the fancy bottle label on it and they, or they pour out the glass, the, the wine into like a different bottle yeah. and whatnot. I'm like, okay, cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. So just like they're removing the label, they're going to remove your QR code. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah. what? <laughs> right there, you just crushed his entrepreneurial like, dreams in no, two seconds. Like, why didn't you think of this <laughs> before you got on stage yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and you decided you have investors. How did they not think of this? Yeah. Um, and then you kind of realize that the entire space was hubris. Like uh, down the hall was someone presenting how they're going to move car ownership to the blockchain and then I'll be able to send you my token and I sold my car to you that way. And uh, I remember asking that like presenters, like a different format, but asking him like, okay, yo, so my car gets stolen. Uh, and then the cops come over and they're like, oh, your car got stolen. Like, what's your license and registration? And I give them the license number and like, no, 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 this is registered to, you know, someone called Muhammad. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Me and Muhammad, we're part of this program on the Ethereum blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> and I know like the name, it's under him, but I have the token and like, yeah, no, it's my car. <laughs> like, they're going to tell you to fuck yourself. So this is um, the kind of shit that was going around at the time, but people yeah. didn't want to miss out on the headlines and that sounds pretty cool. I want to be but part of it. people were like completely disregarding common sense. Uh, just because like they had gone caught up in the hype yeah and uh, to be fair like for every like project 10 projects maybe like that there was one cool interesting project so there was this thing at the time i don't know where they are now i haven't looked at it in years <coughs> but it was called uh everledger i think and they used to do diamond tracking using a blockchain mm. and the reason that works is diamonds have unique electromagnetic signatures yeah so there's like a, a serial number embedded in this diamond that you can't remove. Like whatever its electromagnetic signature is. Ah, really? Wow. Yeah, that's kind of unique. 
That is actually pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's a great way to integrate with a blockchain because this has a unique identifier that can't be removed. Brilliant. Um, and uh, yeah, it seemed like a re really, really cool idea. Um, but for every one of those, there was 10. Listen, I just realized how cool this Bitcoin logo is and, uh, co and commemorating the first <laughs> crypto episode they were doing. Uh, Georgia got this uh, for Christmas, basically. So it's, it looks pretty so dope. Good. Um, yeah, for anybody listening, this is just a, a Bitcoin uh, LED light behind me uh, that, that I'm enjoying seeing for the first time in the studio. Um, I want to talk about the dark world of margin trading crypto because it, as, a, as, a <laughs> as somebody who has dabbled <laughs> around in the space <laughs> and experimented a little bit with margin trading, um, I have a real problem. Like, I feel like by now there should be a Netflix series uh, that captures... And the whole series is just about crypto margin trading, and it talks about like the the design and the architecture of the YouTube videos that are going on with the thumbnails and the the the, the caps and the ca yeah. grabby and they look at my rich life in Dubai, yeah. and then it's just like funneling people to casinos. It's 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 Not much only worse. Casinos, but like the margins that you're afforded on a crypto exchange are the same you're afforded on a forex exchange. And think about how little a traditional currency moves. Like I'm not talking Argentina or. Or anything like at a random moment but like think about how little the dollar moves relative yeah. to the pound you know and that that makes sense that you would get 200x margin because you know like you that need that margin to get to profit to, out of this movement yeah, to yeah. make it larger than like a few percentages uh like um you need that margin yeah. but for something that moves like by five percent regularly yeah, yeah, yeah um you know like 20x um is a hundred percent of your yeah. position so if you have like 200x margin trading, that means every time it moves half a percentage, um, you're getting liquidated. Yeah. So uh, like Bitcoin probably moves by half a percentage every by second. By the second, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that means you're like trading binary options in a different word. It's ridiculous. You know, way. because you're just betting on the direction for the next second and hopefully after that. But like it, it, So the way they're constructed is they're obviously not constructed towards like consumer protection or investor protection of any sort. They're structured to be casinos. And they have the same hacks as online casinos do. They have the sign-up bonuses where casinos will tell you play with free money the first couple of hands. Yeah, These yeah. guys will tell you deposit your Bitcoin, trade with it. You get $5,000 of free money to play with. Right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly you can't like withdraw it until you've traded this much. It's exactly yeah, like yeah. a casino. It's exactly like a casino yeah. with, with, the, with the YouTubers who are like uh -huh. shooting it. By the way, you might want to flip your headphones. Just uh, sit uh, okay, yeah, it's right and left now. Yeah. 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 But... Yeah, this yeah. guy, the moon, they all live in Dubai, by the way, right? Yeah, no, I follow some of them. The moon man, honestly, uh, like, I hope you edit this part out. No, no, But man, in no, um, it's delved, like, I remember when he used to actually do trading advice and he would post videos about his trades. Like, he was a pretty decent trader. Like, it's not that um, uh, he was a completely shit trader. No, he's a good trader. I think he still gets eight out of ten different things on any. Yeah, the thing is he deletes the ones that are wrong. Um, and now I think he realized he has to own up to them sometimes. So he, he'll yeah, every now and then, like one in ten videos, he'll come back, like, I lost a million dollars. Sometimes yeah. he lose some, sometimes no, he, 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 he basically tweets like three, like uh, technical analysis usually points to a breakout in either direction, right? Like it's never like um, in most good predictions, you can tell something's going to happen here. Yeah. You know, you don't know what's going to happen, but you know something's going to happen here. Yeah. Um, that's a much easier thing to say than I know this is going to happen at this point. But to be behind the laptop at the time when a breakout is about to happen is also an advantage because that because then you are you're gonna see where it breaks out and you're gonna be one of the try to get in on it, Yanni. Yeah, and you can take a position. Yeah. 
there's also fake outs and stuff like that. But um, the, the thing is with influencers is if you know something's going to happen, you post both vids that you're saying this is going to happen and then this is going to happen. And for the average person, you've posted both options. You're yeah. very sensible. But in the future, you'll just delete the one yeah. that... Um, Oh, he'll go as far as in the same video, he'll say, um, you know, I think it's going to go up. I'm going to put my money. And then right after he'll say, it might also go down, you know. And then so like the next video, if it works, it's like exactly as I predicted. If it's yeah. true. No, but, um, the, the thing I hate the most about him as well, um, in addition to that one, where he's like exactly as I predicted, is um, how he congratulates everyone in crypto all the time. Exactly. Like, do you own Bitcoin? Then you're going to be a billionaire one day and shit like that. And um, and he shows the comments of the people imagine, saying, "Look at these people like uh, making money from yeah. my tips. I'm so happy to see you guys getting rich with me yeah. and shit." Imagine there was someone at the casino, okay, telling you that like you're gonna be a millionaire one day. It's so amazing. <laughs> you're, <laughs> yeah. doing, you're doing so good. You're down like seven thousand dollars. He's like, "No, no, you're crushing it. You're crushing it. You're, <laughs> you're way ahead of everyone. You're so early. You're oh so God, early." Man. And it's not early anymore. It's early maybe in terms of magnitude, but in terms of awareness, like you go to a dinner party, all anyone wants to talk about is crypto. You go to anything. 100%. Um, um, so I don't think it's early in terms of awareness. Um, and uh, adoption is early. Like uh, most of the people I speak to, like they don't have a MetaMask. They don't have a mobile wallet. They've never interacted with a smart contract. You know, um, uh, everyone trades. Everyone owns. Everyone trades. Everyone wants to tell you why they think, uh, you know, AVAX is going to be the next Ethereum. And you ask them like, Oh, so like, you know, you like the consensus, you know, like snowballs, the snowball protocol. Yeah. Like what's the snowball protocol? Okay. Like, then why do you think AVAX is going to be the next Ethereum? No, I don't know. They have like hype and it's like EVM compatible. That's it. It's narrative. Yeah. But yeah, you can't but ignore like, it though. But it's, it's what drives marketing. But I don't understand how people are really okay parroting a view that um, they haven't taken enough time to understand. Actually, I can understand. I did the same thing when yeah. I first got into crypto because I had shallow information. Um uh, yeah, I just don't like uh, people losing money. Yeah. You know, um, I'm really risk averse with my own stack. Yeah. Um, minus NFTs. But everything else I'm really risk averse with. But even NFTs, it's not like you're... I'm uh, a bit of a degen, but it's because I like them so much. Yeah. Like they, like my fly frogs look super cute. You know, oh, you got them, fly frogs? Yeah, what are they king frogs. No, they're worth nothing. Like really, like they... I so you them. like them for the art, Danny? Yeah, just purely for the art? Yeah, like also like, yeah, I got my fly frogs to breathe and now I have like a tadpole family. In like, like like what's it called? That thing, uh, what is that thing called? The, the Asian pet thing that we had in... Tamagotchi. Tamagotchi. Yeah, yeah man, honestly, it's... Um, I was speaking to our smart co- head of smart contracts today, who's like 60 years old, about like, he's, I, think, I think 58, actually. Sorry, Fabio. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, basically, um, he was like, yeah, I think I might be kind of too old for this. And I was like, man, I thought so too. I thought I was too old to spend $400 buying snacks for my king frogs so that I can mash them into a megatoad, you know? And then like $1,000 on Volt. Like, why did I spend $2,000 to like do Tamagotchi? It's fucking crazy, man. You know, those things used to cost like 12 bucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, like um, you just get, it's, it's, it's again a bit of that casino vibe. So like you think you're going to make money. But speak, wait, speaking of NFTs, because one of the questions I wanted to ask you um, about NFTs was not art, but everything else that's not art. Because uh, up until now, everybody that hears NFTs thinks digital art and things you can show off in, in the metaverse and that, that sort of thing. But what are some of the things that the, I've heard about real estate tokenization using NFTs? Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. 
Yeah, like if you just uh, distill it back into like its lowest form, like what is an NFT, right? It stands for non-fungible token. Like what's fungibility? It's just how interchangeable is one of these for another. So like a dollar, yeah, it has a unique serial number. But as far as a retailer is concerned, or you go to the restaurant or you go to buy coffee, he doesn't care if you pay him with this dollar that has this serial number. He doesn't say, I don't take dollars that have even number serial numbers and with an even number. Every dollar, as far as he's concerned, is the same, as long as it's a real dollar. So that's completely fungible. I can interchange anyone with another. Uh, a non-fungible token is something that can't be interchanged. Like, your property is not fungible. Um, I'm pretty sure there might be a unit that kind of looks like this, maybe looks identical to this in another building. Yeah, but it's in another plot. Yeah. This one is this one. Yeah. It's completely non-fungible. And that's why, you know, representing real estate in an NFT probably makes sense. Uh, but so uh, I thought the cool application because of, of, you know, of NFTs in real estate would be the fact that you can even slice and dice that one unit and then rather than have to sell it to one buyer or sell it, you can uh, sell pieces of it. Yeah, you can have fractional ownership of an NFT. Yeah. Um, even if the NFT itself is coded to not have, you know, fractional ownership. You can put it in a smart contract and then have that smart contract be dictated by a bunch of other tokens and whatnot. And uh, and I think there are people who are doing fractional ownership of NFTs yeah. right now. Um, so the divisibility, I don't think, changes anything. And if it did, you would just not use um, the standard ERC721, mm. which is like the NFT standard token. Mm. Um, and you would just customize it in such a way that, you know, it's unique but is divisible. Type. So, so this is the other thing about... You have to remember that the fractional shares representing that host house are fungible, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you have 1% of this house NFT, and I have a different one, like, those parts are fungible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, in the metaverse, everything is on NFTs, right? So you buy a plot of land next to Snoop Dogg for I don't know how much, and you basically get a piece of land that is unique to you. Yeah. Um, now, here's... First of all, are you bullish on the metaverse, like like investing in crypto in the metaverse? So, um, not, hu- not in its current state. So, like, I'm a huge... Like, someone smarter than me told me this recently. He's like, um, uh, virtual reality is, like, kind of the stopgap. Um, the reason we do virtual reality and we don't do augmented reality is just, like, the technological limitation. Mm. Like, if you look at a Nintendo Switch, the games tend to be cartoony. Why? Because they can't compete on graphics with a PlayStation and an Xbox. Um, so they work within their own technological limitation. And they do that well. Yeah. Mm. Uh, VR, like, if I had to do AR and you had to wear this massive headset that had a bunch of cameras on it, like, crushed your neck, yeah. you know, because it's so fucking heavy. Yeah. Um, it's not viable. And it would cost you like $80,000 for this yeah. headset. You know, that's not viable. But a virtual reality headset, you know, can cost. So the hardware is the issue uh, for the most exactly. part. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't like the concept of living in a world, you know, a virtual world and spending all my time in a virtual world. Sure. I think I'll spend much less time in that world than I will if I was just wearing transparent glasses. Yeah. And what was happening is I was sitting in my apartment, but you were also next to me. And I have a, uh, the question I want to ask specifically is about the value of real estate in the digital world, right? So, so, so here's my hypothesis, and tell me if, if I'm missing something here, because that for me is the biggest reason why I wouldn't buy land in the metaverse. And it's because today um, I understand the value of land on Earth uh, has value because it gives you access to a certain city, certain jobs, yeah. country, highways, whatever it is, and they're unique to that place. And if you want to have the same experience, for example, let's say you're into nature, you can have it uh, somewhere in Europe, you can have it somewhere in Asia, but this, these are your options and you'll have to take a flight, there's an inconvenience. Yeah. The moment that 
land can be created out of nowhere and, and, and the experience of that land is just about the company of the people who are there because you can make it as beautiful as, as, you know, as the next plot that was there mm-hmm. and it's as accessible as a button away. So then how can any, any real estate have any value uh, that is unique to it when it's all in, you can literally just code any area, any city and go hang out there, you know, you know, yeah, so again, the technological limitation of like virtual reality, like I don't know if you've seen like the Facebook demos or whatnot, like it's all cartoony. Like if you've played um, Decentraland's game, mm. um, like it's like Roblox with, you know, crypto. Yeah. Um, so it's like not a mature game. Um, yeah. It's not VR, but it's e- even not a mature game. Um, and I, I think it's going to be a really long time before like, you know, VR is indistinguishable from the real world. Yeah, um, really the value of real estate within those metaverses. How so, do they maintain their value? So, like, you you're betting on uh, someone doing something with it. Yeah, you know, like if you buy a plot of land on Decentraland, you're effectively saying, um, "I think this piece of land is going to go up." And why do you? And it's kind of greater fool theory, right? You want to sell it to someone else at some point, but you're really just like betting on the team. You think that if I buy this plot of land and the money goes to this entity, this entity has been around for like four years. They've been building things nonstop. I think they're going to figure it out and they're going to build something cool eventually. And it's going to make my plot of land worth okay. more. And the weird part about that is that that's like the definition of a security, you know, that you're going to profit from the managerial efforts of others. Sure, sure. And that part I get, right? And that's the, that applies to every other exciting project that's out there. Yeah. But are we missing, am I missing something about how unique it is to have a certain plot of land in the metaverse and to invest and buy into it, regardless of purely from a real estate valuation, kind of like this, what, I don't think it's unique to, if you tell me you're going to have a piece of land in Greece or Portugal on the sea, I get the appeal. There is nothing you can tell me about buying a piece of land in the metaverse yeah. that would make it appealing enough for me to pay a million bucks for it, which is what it would be worth yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. And, so, some uh, of them are worth it. So the interesting thing is um, uh, when it comes to digital scarcity, um, it's really not that scarce. Exactly. Like I realized this like in, I think, 2017 when like Bitcoin started forking a lot, you know, and everyone's like, there's only 21 million Bitcoin. There's only 21 million Bitcoin. I'm a Mac. I'm a bit of a maxi, so like, don't get me wrong. But then there was Bitcoin Cash, there was Bitcoin Diamond. I think there was Bitcoin Gold and Bitcoin Silver and a bunch of other ones. And then Ethereum. Yeah, but like Ethereum at least has a different use case. So these were just forks of Bitcoin. Sure. Um, and you kind of realize that okay, maybe digital scarcity is the wrong word because there are a bunch of them. Fine, they're not the original bit- Bitcoin, but like the mechanism itself or whatever the prop- proprietary technology behind it isn't going to be unique there's zero barriers to entry there's going to be a lot of them so you kind of realize like okay it's the og this is what everyone believes is the real bitcoin so this is the real bitcoin so then you kind of understand that like it's not about digital scarcity as much as it is um a perception of something yeah and that's scarce you know like it's yeah like with stocks i guess i mean you know you might miss out on a certain stock that was limited in amount uh, and then you can get into another exciting stock because uh, that's also scarce. Yeah, and if people, um, like, uh, if one day everyone thought that Bitcoin Cash was the ultimate chain and we just all started using Bitcoin Cash, then, yeah. like, Bitcoin Cash is the new Bitcoin and eventually, like, um, the original chain falls into obscurity and um, we call Bitcoin, Bitcoin, ca- Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin. So now, On this point, uh, uh, speaking of uh, digital scarcity, because one of the things that... Uh, made Bitcoin scarcity, in my opinion, less scarce 
is the fact that other cryptos came out and started so it started taking a chunk of people's money yeah. so anybody that was going to invest in bitcoin now is thinking twice well bitcoin or ethereum or Polkadot yeah. or cardano or solana Fa- not so only that you have to remember that the capital allocation yeah like go to like the 50th go, like, oh. yeah like scroll all the way down to like 50th before i do i just want to show you real quick the market cap of bitcoin is 780 billion out of a uh, what is it maybe total market like market cap two trillion than, yeah so it's less it's for the first time under 40 percent, basically yeah by the way that's super bullish for bitcoin you think the fact that the bitcoin dominance is going down is bullish for bitcoin i'm a maxi i just think that people who are losing faith in bitcoin um like that's a money-making opportunity for me because it means they're undervaluing it relative to the overall market Okay, wait, then hold that thought for a second. I am at 50. Okay, no, but these are all legitimate minus EOS. But keep on going down. Um, yeah, like, uh, look at, like, wh- what is this one? Ecash? Ecash, 66th place, has a market cap of 1.8 billion. Okay, 1.8 billion. Yeah. Okay, so there's this company, and it's probably a startup, where it's 1.8 billion. Yeah, it's a ridiculous valuation, by the way. Um, if Comparable to other companies on the New York no, Stock Exchange. No, but that's Augur, right? That's market cap. Yeah, the one above it, though. Oh, how much Eka. is that? 1.8, 1.8, 2 billion. Jesus. Yeah, so you have these things. Sorry, let me like zoom back in. I gotta get a bigger, bigger screen for this yeah, one. No, but, um, huh. Yeah, so like a lot of these are legitimate. Bitcoin SV is like a bullshit thing. Zcash is legitimate. Aug- AMP. Um, yeah, so like some of these are legitimate, but like um, a lot of them you haven't heard of. And They're all in the 1.5 billion market cap vicinity. Yeah, so like, um, yeah, we're still seeing like a lot of exchange tokens, a lot of real things. But um, my point is, when Bitcoin's dominance drops from uh, from what it was initially, when the whole crypto market opened up, it was eighty percent. Initially, it was one hundred percent, being the first coin uh, around, and then it became whatever Ethereum came up, whatever. And then that dominance gradually went to okay. So I see what you're saying. Now that it's so low, and and there might be a, a renaissance of Bitcoin. So now it's the time to, to buy Bitcoin again because it went in value uh, compared to everything else. Yeah, like I believe, um, I, I believe in in an ideal world, I believe everything should be built on Bitcoin. Okay. Like I know um, it's like a very unpopular opinion, but I think the universe likes simple. I agree you with know, you. We have one internet. Best uh, capitalism and free markets and uh, competition no, and, and greed. Honestly, te- <laughs> technological limitations. Um, uh, but the, if, like. Um, there's no reason that Bitcoin shouldn't be able to like incorporate, you know, some sort of smart contracting capability. You know, maybe it's not as flexible as other chains and whatnot, um, but it's the strongest chain. It's technically the most decentralized. Um, it makes the most sense. But um, uh, yeah, so like if you think that the universe appreciates simple, then maybe there's going to be two chains, Bitcoin and Ethereum. But I don't think there should be a hundred chains. Like, um, like, I don't believe in a multi-chain world or a use case-specific blockchain world, which is, like, what a lot of people believe in. Just because, um, think about Apple or Samsung, right? Like, do they want to integrate 100 chains into their phones? But how easy is it for, like, Apple or Samsung just to both, like, give you a Bitcoin wallet? Yeah. That's, like, a really straightforward implementation that anyone can do. But for you to be able to use, like, your wallet on Avax and... Um, you know. But isn't this whole interoperability, Polkadot, Cosmos, world, all about trying to create a highway for all of them to connect? Yeah, and honestly, I see a path towards that now. Like, for example, now if you use MetaMask, like, it works with any EVM-compatible chain. So you can use it with Binance Smart Chain. You can use it with Phantom, Avalanche. Um, 
And the UX isn't great, so like I have to switch networks and switch networks, but there's no reason that they couldn't be able to do that like almost automatically. Mm. Like show my balance across networks. Yeah. And then, you know, um, leverage the network that I'm connected to at any given point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can simplify it heavily from the UX perspective, even in a multi-chain world. <coughs> I just think that, um, yeah, I just wish everything was, I, I, I view, I don't view Bitcoin as a store of value as much as I do, as a, I still view it as a currency. Right, but I think it's the money of the internet. And it should be. And I'm glad Jack Dorsey is stepping out to actually focus on making 100%. that happen. And if I'm going to put any money in Bitcoin right now, instead of alts, it's because of Jack Dorsey. But the game theory of the world is that once something new happens in a free world, in a free market, in capitalism, and I'm all for that in theory, is that the more players, the better growth. Yeah, they compete. The price goes down. You know, classic kind of the narrative around capitalism that allows for growth and entrepreneurship. And if it wasn't for all those different communities opening up and in each one focusing on a different region, different problem, uh, perhaps we wouldn't have gotten that big. On the other hand, I think that if there was only Bitcoin, everybody would have rushed to buy Bitcoin and there was no confusion around what else to buy, that probably by now we would have had a $5 million coin and maybe there wouldn't be any more around. It's just Bitcoin. And that's yeah. it. There's no other innovation. You should patent it. <laughs> Actually, it should have been patented and stopped. Like nothing else on blockchain. No, but it would have never grown if it was uh, limited. Um, but uh, the biggest argument I have or your or whatever yeah. position you you just argued yeah <laughs> is um, yeah a uh, 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 technologies have finite lifespans yeah bitcoin's a technology yeah you know like as much as we want it to be a currency a store of value or whatnot at the end of the day it's a technology and technologies don't live forever so yeah it could live you know 10 years 20 years 40 years 100 years whatever but all technologies come to an end uh, they get usurped by a better technology um, so you know that it, it has a finite lifespan, so then it's just a matter of how long is its lifespan. And then the second thing is... Um, so you think it's going to die at one point? hundred, like, yeah, so let's say the year is 2,500. Like, uh, but not anytime soon, you mean? Um, you don't know. All, all you care about is, um, like, you know it's going to die eventually. Okay. Like, at some point, we're going to stop using paper. You know, we've been using paper for, like, 7,000 years. Right. And we're going to stop using paper. So everything, every technology has waits until something better comes around. But could we be at the precipice of that happening already? Where Ethereum and, and, and Co, which is everybody else, already starting to make uh, Bitcoin less relevant, Yanni? I would hate that to be the case. I agree. And I don't know if it's like a romantic view, um, but I would hate for that to be the case. I like, agree. Um, I think Bitcoin's the OG. I think I sent you this quote the other day, like uh, the last uh, Exodus, like 3413 or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming from uh, you, I mean, yeah. it was very well received. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thou shalt worship no other gods yeah. but the Lord. I had to filter it through, through all the other biblical shares that you send me every day <laughs> yeah. to keep me on the right track in life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thou shalt worship no other gods for thy God whose name is jealous is a jealous God, you know. And I Very think, relevant. Yeah, and I feel that way about Bitcoin. Like, just don't know. Yeah, Nothing yeah. else. This is your God. Yeah, um, but it should be. And I think something about the cultiness of it all is... Part of the almost, I'm, I'm, this is a stupid comparison, but communism, right? Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not, it shouldn't be compared to communism, but something no. about having to have such a, a conviction towards something, almost the way commies had towards yeah, yeah. communism before they realized it's fucked up. Yeah, yeah there's this uh, famed investor, I forget his name, um, but he was like, I invested in Bitcoin when I heard that in the 2017 crash, 2018 crash, 73% of holders didn't sell. 
And he's like an 80%, 85% drawdown and 73% didn't sell. He's like, this is not a financial asset. This is a religion. This is a religion. You know? Yeah. And you go to a Bitcoin conference and, you know, like, uh, and you realize like, oh God. And thank God for people like Michael Saylor and others who keep to sh- keep showing you that they're willing to, I mean, it's easy for them when they have billions to put more billions, more bad money over bad money, assuming it's bad money, right? I believe it's not for somebody's entire net worth is in it's an alt, it's not in Bitcoin at the moment, but who believes in the space enough to put his entire net worth. But what I'm saying is about Bitcoin is I believe without Bitcoin, I don't think we will have the more, you know, the industry is held by Bitcoin as the collateral backbone of it, the entire industry. And so actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, do you think we can even have a crypto industry if Bitcoin becomes totally irrelevant and just sinks down coin market cap? Oof. Um, that's a really good or is, or, I mean, this is it's like total do, um, dubious speculation here. This is a... Look, Ethereum's done such a good job at becoming well-adopted, and people are kind of realizing, like, okay, if Bitcoin is gold, then Ethereum's oil, right? Like, um, gold's a store of value, but oil is what the world runs on. Yeah. And, you know, if uh, Ethereum becomes a dominant chain, the world runs on Ethereum, and Ethereum gas is oil. Yeah. So I think enough people have subscribed to Ethereum uh, so that even if Bitcoin were to die, yeah, like everyone would take a hit equally, but um, the space as a whole would continue to evolve. Yeah, which is worrying for me because uh, again, I never want Bitcoin to die. I think Bitcoin is. So, what would be the best thing that could happen for Bitcoin right now, specifically? Not just, I mean, even if it helps the cryptocurrency market along with it, fine. But what would be the ideal kind of most bullish year? How does it look like? And similarly, what would be the most bearish? situation that we could face it doesn't happen so it's yeah. a it's that issue you highlighted earlier that there are so many coins and now they share a lot of value and and for me this is like a misallocation of capital you know like if someone's investing in this random shit coin and he could have been investing in bitcoin that's like misallocation of mm. capital that shit coin is going to zero and you just got scammed um and bitcoin is going to go up so like you you put the money in the wrong place um, even if like it's a token-based project and this is like almost an ICO model, if they're legitimate, you can give them money and they're going to do something cool with it in the space and they might innovate and whatnot. So like, um, uh, yeah, like I, w- I wish there were fewer projects. Um, like right now, uh, there's an incredible project uh, at some point. I don't know if incredible is because like you look at it and you're like there's something wrong i just don't know what it is yet but um it's a really good project technologically it's amazing conceptually it's unbelievable called olympus um and they created a stable coin and the way they like um they say it's a stable coin but it's not really a stable coin but uh, they're trying to create a stable coin that's algorithmic and their mechanism is like i don't know how to describe it it's like a reverse ponzi you know but like it's it's so good <laughs> but then everyone you discover you figured this out uh, like i mean is it in the fine print or is it in the headline under the, like you the, the way it works is almost like it's it's weird so um uh they back their token with dai which is a dollar token um and then if their token goes up in price they sell that token at a discount to the world um and they get more dai so now they have more DAI, so they can issue more of their token. So they issue more of their token. They sell that token at a discount, and then they get more revenue. Wow, now so the discount part is why you call it inverse, right? As opposed yeah. to it being returns to investors, it's yeah. discounts. But the beauty of it is they share these returns with people who stake up their own. You know, so like they have, like I think, like 44,400% APYs right now, 
And at some point it was like 79,000. But the point I'm trying to make is everyone, this project, by the way, like I called it a reverse Ponzi, but it's super legitimate. Like everything they're doing is amazing. But explain how are they legitimate when they are clearly doing something that is... No, because you don't know if the mechanism, the mechanism only really fails when the token crashes in price. But then the treasury already generated enough die by selling the token and buying the die. So the people who actually hold the token are kind of protected. Okay. Uh, and then the treasury can vote to maybe buy back the token yeah. uh, using the treasury funds and create a support for the so price. So it's like kind of like borrowing f- quickly to get yourself from point A to point B as a startup yeah. using something that's not entirely straightforward. But once you get through it, you kind of... Yeah like, uh, yeah, like there's probably a chasm to cross. And once they've crossed it, they're safe. And I think their treasury has like $3 billion. So like they're very safe. Okay, so by now they are fine. They can. Yeah, but the problem with Olympus is everyone forked it. Like the space is open source. Like you have no intellectual property, right? Mm. Like anyone can go to your GitHub, fork yeah. the repo, deploy the exact same thing. Yeah, which is the case with most st- blockchains with the exception of a few that have actually patented stuff like HBAR, uh, Hedera. Yeah, uh, so like it doesn't really make sense because with a lot of this space, it's it's so high value and it's in its infancy. So like you want eyeballs. Yeah. Like we pay like I think something like twenty five or $50,000 for anyone who finds a critical bug in our code. Mm. You know, because if we deploy that code, like the value at risk is, you know, 10 or 20 million. So yeah. like... I'd rather pay someone fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, sorry, go yeah, on. Yeah, so they forked Olympus yeah. and then they launch on another chain, whether it's Phantom or Avax, and then that project is now worth like two billion. Mm. And it's like, why should this project that their biggest success story is that they took the code from this other project and deployed it on another chain, which takes zero effort, by the way. Like it doesn't even take that much expertise. Um, why should it be worth two billion dollars? Like, this isn't innovation. They haven't even changed anything in the code. Yeah. They just renamed it, rebranded it, and launched it on another chain. Like, why should it be worth $2 billion? So the barriers eventually have become so low that uh, something like that can get hijacked and then just taken to market quickly. Yeah, like, um, uh, yeah, there's, like, zero barriers to entry. There's, like, uh, and, and then you end up with misallocation of capital. Like, I was telling this to, to someone at work the other day. Um, imagine Starbucks stamps. You know how you get like a Starbucks stamp every time you have a coffee? Mm. Uh, and if you get 10 stamps, you get a free coffee. Yeah, Subway as well. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Imagine those were traded on an exchange. So they probably trade for like, you know, like let's say four, 40 cents, you know, so that every 10 coffees, every 10 stamps um, is $4, which buys you a coffee. That's like good pricing for it. So they trade for 40 cents between 39 and 42 cents for like a year. And then some asshole buys like a billion of these tokens, okay? So, and he buys it all at once. And now it's trading at like $20, okay? And then a bunch of other people see that it went up from 40 cents to $20. They FOMO on it. Yeah. And now you have Starbucks stamps where every 10 gets you a coffee trading for like $3,000 each. <laughs> yeah. <you know>? yeah. <laughs> and everyone is aware the only use case for this is 10 of these get you a free coffee and they trade for like $3,000. This would happen. This would legitimately happen in this space. Oh, arguably it's already happening. I mean, and then you talk to people and like, yo man, why are you paying like $3,000 for a tenth of a coffee? And they're like, no, no, but you don't understand like Starbucks are going to do this in the future. So there would be a narrative a attached rumor, to it too. Yeah. And then you're going to get influencers who are pretending that yeah. they're in the know. It's like, this is how I made $10 million yeah. off Starbucks stamps. Yeah. And this is why I think you should invest. Yeah, and but I think this has become such a strong, it's a fucked up reason to get into a 
company uh, ultimately it should be about the cash it'll generate and real returns and all of that but it's become such a strong factor that I think you can't I mean it sucks that it is the case but you have to play the game otherwise you're going to be left behind uh, so when the, so there, if there was almost like uh, I mean there would be it would be cool if there's two things one is uh, like a vetting almost like a due diligence I don't know crypto company that would tell you a little bit of scoring and grading of company based on some criteria you know, like I, I think github commits um, uh, yeah they can be gamed but they're like one of the best things to look at like look at the repository the github repository like let's let's actually pull up but that's the not one of those cardano, cardano was one of those things that was all, i'll pull it up in a second but so cardano was one of those uh, uh, companies uh, that actually today happens to have a crazy valuation for for a ghost chain um that has always uh, kind of touted the fact that they have all these uh, the highest number of uh, commits a month the highest developer community so all the things that we should look at in fact probably the reason why they are where they are is because they have those metrics yeah, checked. so like it's not that it can't be gamed uh, it can o- obviously be gamed, yeah. right? Like I'll just like edit the name of a, a file and be like, I'll commit. Yeah, commit. yeah, yeah, like yeah. You can do that forever. Well, that's um, one, but I agree with you. It's one of those metrics that. Uh, what am I looking up by the way? Um, yeah, like just go to Coin Market Cap. <coughs> yeah, and then like go to like fifty, like you'll probably get Ave or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like click on Ave. Yeah. And then there's gonna be a link there that's like under the price if you go to the top top yeah. over the price uh, a bit further up sorry here we go yeah like is there github anywhere here uh explorers community chat source code yeah source code okay <coughs> yeah so it takes me to github yeah and like you can see the repos and like click on a random repo like ave protocol um, so you can see there's actually work being done by the developers um on this uh um, under GitHub, basically. Yeah, like you can see the the work that's been done. <coughs> you can see how active it is. Um, so there are a few things to look at. I mean, the other one is DeFi Llama to look at uh, total value locked as a as a ratio of market cap or market cap as a ratio of total value locked, which yeah. is similar to like what I consider to be um, uh, EV or EBITDA Yo, or PE, PE ratios for stocks. So market cap over TVL is something you can look at to get an idea of how highly valued it is compared to the smart contracts they have on their on the chain, and yeah, that's and that's by chain, right? So you have like, look at Ethereum. Uh, I really gotta get a bigger screen, by the way. Sorry for this. That's good. Um, yeah, go. honestly, um, there are a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, so like, do your own research, right? Um, do your own research, hundred percent. But uh, so I'll text earlier, I asked you something earlier. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go back to it, and I think maybe show uh, small. Basically, <coughs> for somebody who loves Bitcoin so much. And that includes me too, by the way. Uh, the only reason I don't have my money in Bitcoin is just I'm. If, if everybody else is not, I'm. I'm also not, you know. Yeah, but I, I would like to be. In, if I can get my returns on Bitcoin, I'd rather get them on Bitcoin than on Ethereum. Don't get me wrong. I have <laughs> like my my stack is maybe forty uh, percent Bitcoin, fifty five percent Ethereum, and five percent other. Right. So and and I'm so similarly, but I'm I'm fully in Ethereum with with about a third in other alts. But I would, if it was up to me, to if, if people come and tell me you want 10x on Bitcoin or 10x on Ethereum, and you'll have to wait two more years for the 10x for Bitcoin, I'll probably take the Bitcoin one, just because I like the Bitcoin narrative, the story, yeah. the whole thing. So, But I'm, I'm just worried it's not. So my, so my question is, what would be the best thing to happen in the world that would make Bitcoin the most bullish coin and relevant again? Block size, block unlimited. So um, I think it was in 2017 or 2018, they were upgrading Bitcoin, mm. you know, just like how Ethereum did the London fork. Yeah. Like there was another, actually, I think this was the fork in which Bitcoin Cash might have been born. Okay. Not sure. But 
It was called SegWit 2X. And the reason, they were trying to increase transaction output on Bitcoin, you know? Um, and uh, I think there were like three total proposals. One was like 2X, increase the block size from one megabyte to two megabytes. And another one was called SegWit, segregated witness, like the signing data. Let's like keep that outside the block. Hence the name segregated witness. Mm -hmm. And that's going to free up block space to include more transactions. Okay. And then the third proposal was called BU, block unlimited or block size unlimited, which means like let the block size be dynamic. Let's not make it two megabytes. Let's make it dynamic. Mm -hmm. And if we do that, we're going to be able to fit way more transactions than, than we currently can. So we can make it a smart contract platform by doing In that? In the future, or? you probably could because um, <coughs> now you can include like much more data. Um, but most importantly is like you can do more transactions, you know, per block. So uh, this would be the thing that would happen on Bitcoin as a chain that would be really good for Bitcoin, but in the world. But they ignored block unlimited. And I think the reason was um, the miners, you know, like if you have 100 transactions and I have to include them in 10 blocks versus I can include them all in one block, there's only one block reward for me for the 100 transactions. And there's only, you know, there's less fees that I make. Right. So that's kind of like the signal that like, oof, maybe like Bitcoin's gotten a bit centralized in the wrong hands. Mm. Um, so that's why they didn't p take off. Yeah, like if they could do, <coughs> if Bitcoin could increase its block capacity or like, so with the tap taproot upgrade, which brought something called TapScript, which like made a bunch of old, um, like they're called opcodes. So like if you add two numbers, that's an opcode. If mm -hmm. you multiply a number, that's an opcode if you sum, you know. Uh, so they brought back like some scripting to Bitcoin. Yeah. Bitcoin's always had scripting, but like a lot of them were closed because of security reasons. And a lot of them were brought back and a lot of them were added. So this is like a stepping stone towards Bitcoin becoming a smart contracting platform. Mm. And you have to remember that the Lightning Network is built on Bitcoin. Sure. Like Polygon is on Ethereum yeah. kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, but like Polygon has its own token. The Lightning Network doesn't. Uh, okay. I, th I thought I saw something. That's a different Lightning Network? Is Maybe. Okay. Uh, so, the, uh, but, but what I mean is there's scripting happening on Bitcoin. Right. And there's complicated scripting happening on Bitcoin. It's yeah. not all like very, very basic stuff. Right, right, right. Um, so that means like, okay. Like, so this is something a lot of people don't understand. But like your laptop, and let's ignore like your... GPU. Let's just focus on your CPU. Mm. Your CPU is probably doing like six things. It has an AND gate. So like, um, is this on? Is this on? Like, remember the Excel formula sure. AND? AND or not. Yeah. Whatever. yeah. So it has an AND gate, an AND gate, which is not AND. And then it has an OR gate and a NOR gate, which is not OR. And then it has something called like an XOR and an NXOR. So there's like six gates, six electric gates in your CPU you abstract that, and now you're doing like Microsoft Excel, you know? Right. From these six electric gates, you can yeah. do all of this, and it's just a level of abstraction, abstraction, abstraction. You start with like Boolean math, and then you build on that, and then you build on that. So like, you don't need Bitcoin to be that complicated to be able to do everything Ethereum does. Because something can be built on it and derive from Bitcoin what is needed as an infrastructure to then do everything else? Exactly. You can abstract these very basic opcodes on Bitcoin to do a lot of other things. And so the reason it hasn't happened on Bitcoin and it has been happening on Ethereum is because of the proof of work thing, just making it... Uh, no, it's just Ethereum was built to do this. You oh. know, from day one, they wanted to be a Turing complete you know, um, yeah. platform. 
uh, and like the world's supercomputer. And Bitcoin was never built for this. Mm. Um, it was never envisioned to be to do this even. Um, right. So like, yeah, like um, <coughs> maybe that's why Ethereum wins. But then the people who have gotten into Bitcoin got into Bitcoin for what it is. And in fact, they don't even expect to become more than it, it is uh, for it to become relevant and to become the end all be all. And, and this includes Michael Saylor, Jack Dorsey and everybody else. And if anything, the reason they like Bitcoin so much is because it is trying to be just that store of value. It's not trying to be anything else because a lot of these guys don't believe in Web 3.0 and decentralized and like smart contracts and all that shit. But like you can read um, Satoshi's emails and his posts, you know, you can read them. They're online. Yeah. And man, like, honestly, if this is a real person or a single person rather than a group of people, and if it's not the NSA, this person's super cute, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> They're like English. He, their language. He's like direct. He's pretty idealistic. Um, and he doesn't envision it being a store of value. He envisions it being a currency for the internet, you know, a purely decentralized form of cash. So the whole white paper about Bitcoin being like a kind of the a remedy to what happened in 2008 and yeah. all of that. It's hard money, yeah. you know, um, like p- some people like have a hard time understanding. Like I was arguing with my dad about this. I was like, no, no, we need hard money. And he's like, what do you mean hard money? I was like, okay, you're like 76 years old, you know. Uh, so in 1971, when Nixon, uh, what's called the Nixon shock, he, he unpegged the dollar from gold by making it no longer redeemable for the underlying gold. Um, you were like 26 years old. So you remember a world with hard money. Yeah. You know, um, like this shouldn't be new to you. It's new to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you should understand this, <laughs> you know. Basic economics. Um, yeah. Like for... Almost all of human history, we've used hard money. Yeah. Like uh, the Roman Empire started debasing its currency. One of the reasons people think it collapsed. Um, uh, the Sun Dynasty, the King Dynasty. Um, but like there are very few incidents of us using like completely fiat money. Yeah. Um, and they're not long. Yeah. You know, so like out of our entire existence as humans using a form of a medium of value exchange. Yeah. Like I would assume like. I would assume like the percentage of time that we've used soft money or fiat money is probably less than 10, definitely less than 10%, probably less than five or 4%. So it doesn't, it, it's not outrageous to think that we would revert back to a form of hard money. Yeah. But initially you were saying that the uh, Satoshi Nakamoto was, was just looking for like an internet currency. He wasn't being so sophisticated. Not an internet currency, uh-huh. but a currency that was decentralized. Um, that wasn't controlled by a central authority. And that's why, like, the Genesis block includes Times Chancellor on the brink of second bailout for banks. Wait, demystify everything you just said. Okay, so the Genesis block is the first block ever created in Bitcoin. That I know, yeah. And Satoshi included a mess. You can put data in a block. You don't have to do a transaction only. You can put data, right? Like, it's a blockchain. You can post whatever. So he posted a headline from the Times. And it was, like, I think 2009, January 2009. And the headline was uh, Chancellor of the Bank of England um, on the brink of a second bailout for banks. Wow. You know, so like obviously like there is an ethos behind wow. this. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So, so it was not just for the sake of having internet money. There was a little it's more to it. Hard money. Hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, because like I try to explain this to people. Like what is money? Like I work now and someone pays me. Right. So the energy and ingenuity I spent at work, I get money for. Like, let's say me and you build a chair and then we go sell the chair and someone gives us one hundred dollars for the chair. What does the one hundred dollars represent? It represents the energy we expended 
on the chair and maybe the ingenuity in us marketing it. Plus a marker for profit. Yeah, yeah. but the the profit is still representing our energy, oh, right? Okay, yeah. um, uh, so like, okay, so then you kind of understand that like, okay, cool. So money is my energy. I work and I store my work in money so that I work now, but on the weekend I don't work, but I have money so that I can buy food. Yeah, you know? advance. Yeah, like it's a form of storing my effort. Yeah. Um, okay, so if I'm storing my energy, why should the mechanism or the battery in which I put it in be controlled by someone else? Makes sense. Why shouldn't? Uh, why should a government that, like, maybe in your case, it, it works, but like in my case, because you're American and yeah. <laughs> you're a resident here. No, but, but why should your savings be influenced by someone sitting in Washington printing money and causing just inflation and yeah, reducing? Just because you use the dollar, yeah, like. Fair enough. It makes no sense. Like, and then you start thinking about other stuff like, you know, why should the hour worked of a guy in South Africa be worth less than the guy working in the UK? Just because they were disadvantaged by... Their uh, central uh, bank is more mature. They know how to do good monetary yeah. policy. One doesn't. Well, the Africans you know. are more desperate for less money. And no, but like... Um, on an economic level, there are some yeah, disadvantages. Yeah, there is can some to that. But like, for example, someone who works in the UK doing the same job as someone who works in South Africa, can leave the UK, buy a ticket, go to South Africa, and then be living the life. Yeah. You know, but he works the same job as this other guy. And in an in increasingly interconnected world, um, we should be using one unit of account. Yeah. And even, uh, Kane, I think it was Keynes, proposed uh, the Bancor, which is like a single global currency made up of a basket of currencies. Like mm. there are great advantages of using a single currency. And one of the things is like less inequality from insti- driven by institutions. So what would be the, on a, on a, not on chain, like improvements to blockchain, uh, to Bitcoin's blockchain, um, but what could happen in the world besides like Elon Musk tweeting about it or shilling it or Jack Dorsey, but like actually like El Salvador made, their, made Bitcoin a legal tender. Yeah, yeah. I thought that should be pretty bullish, except for the fact that it's El Salvador. Yeah. But so, but is it a matter of like another re- kind of less, more kind of like a Lebanon or Turkey adopting Bitcoin for Bitcoin to pick up? Because like, I feel like it's a game theory situation where the first investment, by the way, and I hear, this is what I really think would be the most bullish thing for Bitcoin. The first time PIF or Adia or I don't know who else, like I don't know who are the different sovereign wealth funds that goes and says we're investing part of our treasury in Bitcoin just as an investment. Uh, the same way El Salvador did, by the way, because uh, El Salvador did two things: they made, they made it legal tender, and, and they're they also bought, yeah. buying. But like, if you look at their purchases, I think they bought like sixty million dollars total. Yeah, which is shit. You know, <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure, like uh, Michael Saylor has bought way more. Like oh, exactly, hundred percent. Yeah, um, if not more. So, so El Salvador like, is like an average, m- like uh, a whale. Yeah, it's a whale. It's a whale. That's it. Yeah, that's um, the extent of it. Yeah, lovely place. Yeah, uh, their president's <laughs> like heritage is Palestinian. It's true. So yeah. Respect. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, like it's a small ticket. Yeah. Um, but uh, I th- for me, something that's incredibly bullish would be like a major hardware provider starting to integrate Bitcoin. Ooh. So imagine your iPhone came set up with a Bitcoin wallet oh. or Apple Pay integrated a Bitcoin wallet of some sort. Oof. So like um, the same way I would just touch my phone right now on a credit card machine with my Apple Pay. You would use your Bitcoin. Bitcoin. But uh, by the way, I, technically I can because technically you can. They are, the crypto.com is all about their debit cards. It's one of the service providers that actually yeah. gives you like a debit card that is Visa that has Bitcoin on it. Yeah. And I'm sh- I don't know what's going on in the back end. Maybe they are actually like converting the Bitcoin yeah. to dollars. But so funny st- 
story about that is like, yeah, they are converting the Bitcoin to dollars and then you're executing in the dollars. And I had a friend who is like earlier than anyone I know on Bitcoin. He's been telling people to buy Bitcoin since like 2013. Uh-huh. His friend in New York. Wait, hey, give him a shout out. Who, who is it? Uh, Samir. You might have met Samir. Oh, no. Oh, Amr's sorry, Am- oh I was going to say it. It's not Amr. So, okay. No, yeah, yeah. It was his roommate in college who oh, started okay. a company, sold it to Pandora, started another company now that's pretty interesting. But um, he's been shilling Bitcoin forever, since forever. And he had a Visa credit card, I think it was called a Switch or something, that uh, allowed him to spend his Bitcoin. Okay? okay. And we would go to dinner and he would spend like this $25 in Bitcoin and he was so excited like I'm spending my Bitcoin I'm never going to need to use another bank and stuff and then like years <laughs> not years but like a few months passed and we realized okay shit that's like a capital that's a liquidity event oh uh, yeah so now in addition to whatever he paid on the bill he's paying capital gains on the Bitcoin um, and it's it's taxed it's taxed as oh. if he sold and made made money so it's like if he's held it for longer than a year he's taxed 20% of the gain in price and if he's held it for less than a year, he's taxed like we were in New York and it sucks. He was like taxed like 40%. So the net result is that he got poor or rich this guy off of this? This mechanism, half. like he lost. It, it, to oh. be fair, he, I don't think he spent a lot of money on the card. But like it sucks. Like every meal he paid using that card, he paid like oh, 40% more. Oh, wow. Okay, I see what you mean. Um, I see what you mean. But yeah, like I think a lot that of... That would be cool though. I mean, it, it, it just whether regardless of how you do it, whether it actually is converting your Bitcoin to fiat, which was not would not be good for Bitcoin. Because that would essentially mean that you're spending Bitcoin. It's like selling yeah. it, right? Yeah. Effectively. Like if the retailer themselves accepts Bitcoin... You're not liquidating the Bitcoin. No, you're just transferring Bitcoin from one yeah, to another. So that's, exactly. that would be the cool hardware oh, hack. Yeah, like if retailers just start accepting Bitcoin, and honestly, the infrastructure is there. Like the biggest risk of accepting Bitcoin is you don't know what the price of Bitcoin is going to be, right? But there are futures that are physically settled in Bitcoin. So I can buy a future that has, you know, like a, a contract that says I deliver you one Bitcoin in a month uh, and you and I'll get $45,000 for mm. it or something. Mm. So now I've locked in the price of $45,000 per Bitcoin. Yeah. So I can accept Bitcoin because I have a locked in price. Yeah. Um, so like we do have the infrastructure yeah. to accept Bitcoin payments, use Bitcoin as a currency. Um, like, it's not happening. Uh, one of the things that every blockchain is trying to differentiate, different blockchains are trying to differentiate themselves from each other using uh, by having different consensus mechanisms. A bunch are using proof of stake. So I'd like to really focus on this one so you can explain to me how it works exactly. Um, Proof of work, Bitcoin, math, we'll talk about that. And then there's different consensus mechanisms like proof of authority, you said. Yeah, Yeah. proof of authority, um, stacks, which claims to be built on Bitcoin, but it's not really built on Bitcoin, use something called proof of transfer, if you can try to explain briefly what each one is to the extent that you can brief and then talk about which one you think is the best consensus mechanism okay. from a blockchain trilemma solving problem. Cause the, yeah, and also talk about what the trilemma thing yeah, is. Yeah, so um, I forget uh, what it is. Like, uh, yeah, throughput, decentralization, and security. Yeah, so scale, yeah. decentralization, and security. Yeah, yeah exactly. so um, uh, generally, like, you, you can't have it all, right? Uh, the more decentralized you are... Um, you know, the, the less the throughput's going to be if you're going to maintain security um, and, and so forth. Like if you want to try and have a high throughput, you're either not going to be very decentralized or you're not going to be very secure. Um, the interesting thing is uh, even within like consensus mechanisms, you have like almost consensus mechanisms. Like, um, like uh, what are we trying to do with a consensus mechanism? We're trying to get... Um, 
a, a group of participants who don't trust each other to converge on an answer, you know? Um, and it's a solution to the uh, Byzantine generals problem. I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, um, but very briefly, so go ahead. You can yeah, go ahead. so like imagine you have like 10 generals and they're surrounding a city. Um, and they're like kind of far away from one another. So they communicate via messengers. And they need to all agree. They should either all attack and they'll win and take over the like castle they're sieging. Or they should all retreat and they'll survive to like live another day. But any half-hearted attack, um, they get decimated. If half of them retreat, they get decimated, they lose the war. If half of them attack, they get decimated, they lose the war. So they need to all agree on one answer. Now, the problem is they can send messages, like if they could send messages, messages cleanly to one another, like they would just be like, okay, attack, and they would all attack and they would win, or all retreat and they would win. Yeah. Um, but in this problem, like you don't know if the messengers... Uh, are honest you don't know if the messages are going to get intercepted or not and then switched so now the generals although they're all on the same side they're every message is untrusted okay so what mechanism can we build that will allow them all to converge on one answer um, and uh, the, the first really beautiful solution to it has been proof of work. Um, and proof of work is it's an amalgamation of a bunch of technologies that came before it. But what it boils down to is, um, in, in Bitcoin at least, uh, there's a Bitcoin confirmed every 10 minutes. And that's kind of like a good amount of time because like, let's say you made a transaction in Denmark, I made a transaction in Moscow, someone else made a transaction in Australia. Every miner is going to see a transaction earlier than the other. You know, whatever transaction is closest, closest to him, he's going to see first. You're going to see whatever's closest to you first and whatnot. So if we were all just adding transactions and updating the blockchain randomly, there would be no way for us to maintain alignment. So one, we need to maintain alignment in some way. We also need to create an incentive structure that prevents people from just spamming the network. You know, like anyone's going to spam and be like, this transaction, this transaction, this transaction. So the two things we're trying to achieve is, A, reach consensus on what is what are valid transactions, and B, um, add transactions in a uniform manner. And proof of work is effectively, like if you want to get really technical, we can pull this up actually. Sure, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so search for SHA-256, SHA one word. SHA... 256. 256. Generator. Tool? Yeah. Like in, yeah uh, try the first or second one. We should just get a text box. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Input? Yeah. So just type something randomly. Like just a bunch of random characters. Okay. Now scroll down. Yeah. And you see those characters? Yeah. Uh, cut what you pasted now and just save it. Cut this one? No, no, the one on top. Okay. Save it. Yeah. Okay, sorry, paste it, paste it again. So, okay, no, we still have the output. What does it end with? What are the last three letters? 55 here? Yeah. 855. Okay, uh, now type something random. Here? Yeah. Okay, you e see how one. it's constantly changing? Yeah. Okay, now go back and paste what you originally had. It's the same hash. CB3. Yeah, 
CB3. Yeah, so it's always going to be the same hash. Wait, let's try this again. Then I think so. Let's say right now I just put something in. It has yeah. 9BO. 9BO. Cut I'm it. Cut, oh, so no, I'm going to cut this one here. Yeah. Now I'm going to try something else, whatever. It's completely different. And then if I put nine, this one again, it's 9BO. I see what you mean. Yeah, uh -huh. so um, uh, hashing functions are, are uh, deterministic. So like this one input is always going to have the end output. Okay. And they're one way though. They're collision free. So no two inputs have the same output. And um, the thing is, if I give you an output, you can't tell me what the input is. If it's a three-letter alphanumeric field, yeah. Like you saw that second box that we had, this yeah. box. Yeah. If I give you this box, yeah. there is no way for anyone to determine what went into it to right. generate this. So it's one way. Because of how long it is. and Yeah, the way it works is... The it different letters and numbers, options that you have, the different <laughs> permutations and whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. Like it works on really large numbers. So like... Um, any given input, like if we hash the Bible now, yeah. it's going to have a sp specific hash. Yeah. And if someone else hashes it using the same algorithm, he's going to get the same hash. Yeah. But if you change one comma to a full stop, everything is just going to. The entire hash is different. Yeah. Okay, so if you go back yeah. and type in here mm -hmm. uh, timestamp, we're going to put right in. Right here? Yeah, timestamp. And then comma, uh -huh. um, uh, previous block header. Or previous blockhead, okay, uh, comma, uh, transactions to include, comma, nonce, n o n c e. Okay. Okay. Now scroll down. Okay. So what is it to create a valid block in Bitcoin? What does that mean? So they're going to grab the timestamp, what time it is now. They're going to grab the previous block, and that's how it's nested in a blockchain. Okay. And then they're going to grab the transactions they want to include. Okay. And then they have this random parameter that they control called the nonce. nonce. So try a different number. Instead of nonce, put one. Yeah. And now change it to a two. Oh, change so the last three. three digits are changing at the bottom. They, yeah. uh, All of it is changing. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Uh, it's yeah. just a matter of changing one Everything the nonce, so the nonce changes. Everything changes. Yeah. All, how many, how many, uh, what, what is it? How many? Uh, Figures do you have here? 26, 27? Um, what is the total number of characters? Sorry, I mean. I have no idea, honestly. Yeah. It looks, sounds about like uh, 30 about something. 256. Um, sounds about 50 in here. I can count about 50, close to between 40 and 50, I think. Okay, it might be 48 then. Yeah. Um, that, that's a lot. That's So I, I see what you mean. By just changing one number, and that can also changes. be like three numbers. It can be four numbers, right? Yeah. So they're trying to find a random nonce that keep trying keep trying everything yeah so if i do one two three they're trying to get a hash um that ends with 10 zeros or begins with 10 ends with 10 zeros who is trying to do that the miners what would that lead to a valid block and why is that what and you've ever heard hash power is measured in terahashes per second Dude, hold on. Let me just understand what you're saying. You're saying that m what mining is is going through all the different possible by trial and error Every single thing needs to change here until I get the the figure below. So I got to change. So I, I don't know if it's 10 zeros because you know how Bitcoin's difficulty no. changes. But this thing has a limited number of characters or it can yeah. be... No, no, it's a limited number. Nonce, five characters or just... Like um, I don't know actually what the nonce can be. But uh, anyway, you're saying that there's something that can happen here... Probably with a limited number of characters, by the way. Yeah, you're going to keep trying. And then eventually the computer is going to have a bunch of zeros here. Yeah. And that means that I've 
created a valid block. Created a valid block. And then you submit this block, and then people try your the timestamp that you did it on. They try the transactions you wanted to include. They see the previous block, and then they try the nonce you provide, and they see ah ten zeros, and then okay you must okay. be honest oh. because. How did you generate this 10 zeros? There's no way to generate these 10 zeros except to try a billion times, you know? So you've proven that you've done work. Okay, and that work costs money. 100%, because the only way that you would have been able to create this that starts with 10 zeros is if you tried. So I would have had to spend enough money on electricity to solve this math, and exactly. that's at the heart of the game theory behind exactly. making money from Bitcoin, H- mining. Hence the name Proof of Work. Right. I've expended energy to generate this valid block. There is no way I could have generated this valid block unless I spent $4,000 in electricity. And that, and so, so when they talk about the security of Bitcoin being tied to the fact that nobody wants to ever spend that much money on electricity if they're not going to actually mine for the purpose of... You would be better off mining if you were going to try and attack the network using this methodology. And that's how they maintain the security. At the heart of the security of Bitcoin is that game theory, that this is costing you money, guys. Like, I'm not yeah. going to be able to make all this kind of... I can't solve this math. And I can easily disprove you, right? Like, um, if you include a bunch of fake transactions or mm-hmm. something weird or whatnot, um, then you're just not going to be the valid block. Yeah. Someone else is going to create a valid block. A bunch of people are going to verify it first, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that mechanism, proof of work... A bunch of people looked at it and they're like, okay, this is really cool. It's a great consensus mechanism, but it's such a waste of electricity. So what, like all you're trying to do is get someone to pay a cost for being dishonest. Well, if you're going to get someone to pay a cost for being dishonest, just let him make a bet. Yeah. Let him be like, here's $5,000. If I'm honest, give me money. Mm. And if I'm dishonest, take my $5,000. Hence the name proof of stake. You're staking $5,000. You vote on the valid chain. If you ever vote dishonestly, and people are going to remember that dishonest just means that against the herd. And if uh, you vote against what the majority agree is consensus. And what is that, the proof of stake? It's this, it's like... Is it math too? Is it pure kind of matching cryptography code? Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's cryptography, but it's without this like proof of work mechanism that's spending a bunch of electricity. It's just, uh, we vote on the valid chain. Uh, we put a stake down, and right now on ETH 2.0, it's 32 ETH. Yeah. And I stake it. And then I validate transactions, and I agree with like what the valid chain is. And I'm really just running an algorithm that does it for me. I'm not doing it. Sure, sure, yeah. And then, um, uh, if I'm honest, I, I get ETH as a reward. And if I'm dishonest or my node even goes offline, because sometimes that's a thing, you get slashed and you, you get penalties. You and everybody else backing you up too, right? Because a lot of these are validated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How do you say it? Staked validators. Yeah, validators. Yeah. Um, Who are staked by users. And another third one is like a bunch of people are like, okay, this is really cool. Because you have to remember Ethereum still proof of work right now. Yeah, but, but let's talk about before... We, I want to ask you about proof of stake for a second, which is what are what is the agreement on? Here in proof of work, we have consensus. We have a number, a cryptography, and so on. Yeah, and we're agreeing on a valid block, right? Yeah, but how do I prove... How what, what So how does in proof of stake, how does the validator get to be the one that earns the income um, for the transaction? What are they doing exactly? Um, what they're doing is almost a very similar thing because like Ethereum's like data structure is still rooted in a very similar... Yeah. Like we did SHA-256, I think, uh, like it, 
But this is again probably for there is like random selection of some of those validators too, right? Like it different. De- it depends on the algorithm. So like, uh, let's go back to like not how people are proving they're honest, but like how they're agreeing. Mm. In Bitcoin, like fifty-one percent of people say this. This is the truth. Same with Ethereum. Yeah, which is this number, the ten zeros. Yeah, yeah. But like uh, the valid transactions as well is like the proof. Like the Diaz sent to Diaz and whatnot. Yeah. Um, oh right, yeah. So they need to agree on the state of the blockchain or the state of the transactions or okay. whatever. Um, like Avalanche, like one of the things they do differently in their consensus protocol is they don't do like fifty-one, per, whatever fifty-one percent of people say. Um, they do something called the snowball protocol, where imagine like there's a hundred people in a room, and we want to converge again. Like we're trying to reach consensus on one decision. All of us have to like try and get one answer as fast as possible. They do this thing like imagine we're like trying to figure out what to eat, and like uh, twenty people say pizza, ten people say burgers, five people say um, you know fish, two people say this, and then like a long tail, a hundred people say a hundred different things. They do a vote and they find out that okay, the two biggest ones are like pizza and burgers, so they do another vote. You know, mm. until they get a certain people, like another vote, only pizzas and burgers. And then like 80 people say pizzas, yeah. 20% say burgers. They do another vote, like until everyone's like, you know, like yeah. one or the other. Um, and obviously they, they have like a majority. This is the proof of Byzantine one? No, this is uh, Avalanche's snow protocol. I think it's called the snow protocol. Okay. Snowball protocol. Uh-huh. Um, but like that's another like mechanism within the mechanism, right? Like this is how they reach consensus. So um, each one is trying to come up with a, a more secure, also more scalable uh, way to validate financial, or not just financial, transactions. Yeah. Transactions. Ag- yeah, to reach consensus. To reach consensus for different, for data to move from one place to another, basically. Exactly. And a lot of it is financial, obviously, but clearly IoT, supply chain. So so this entire kind of like agreement on, on things does not have to be financial, uh, but it happens to be have the biggest application today. It's like a change of state. Like the blockchain stores this much data. Like if it was financial, like imagine it's a table and then it, the table is going to change. Like some guy's going to send to some guy. But it could be any string of data going to any yeah. string, any any like other piece of data. Yeah. Um, and we're just agreeing on like, what does that look like? Like okay. in a smart contract, and this, but this is at the heart of the speculation between investors on which coin to buy and stuff, right? I mean, yeah, like, you know, one like of the things that makes one person go into one coin over another is how decentralized is it? How many validators do they have? Yeah, so there's this thing called I think it's called uh, I think it's called the Nakamoto coefficient. Whoa, what and is that? And it's like a number, like maybe you Google it, but uh, it's an uh, I, I don't know how it's exactly calculated, but it's meant to be a measure of decentralization. And I'm actually curious how it's calculated. No, Nakamoto ratio. Um, or coefficient. A coefficient. Might be. Uh, the Nakamoto coefficient, an attempt to quantify decentralization. Awesome. So you want the actual number? Or like the calculation. Uh, right, let's see. Uh, this is like there's an illustration of it. Okay. Um, in the above example, the poorest 20% of the population earns 5% of the cumulative income. In comparison, ninety percent oh. make together fifty five percent. Okay, so it's a measure of how many, how much hash power is coming from how many participants to make sure that not too many players can dominate. Exactly that, and, th- and therefore collude, right? So the idea is that I, I can't get too many players to collude together. Yeah, because imagine fifty one percent of the network all decided that like they were going to r- write whatever transactions they want. They're yeah. going to say that Yazan sent 
five million to this wallet. And then they're all going to agree between themselves that this is what happened and they're going to do that. So, so the more decentralized, the more secure. 100%. So security and decentralization is one thing. Then you have scale at, at low cost, which is throughput at low cost. And the third one is, or why do I feel like in this trilemma, they are repeating security and decentralization as Okay, so I, I think I do understand. Because like, decentralization also has to do with governance, besides just the sec- actual no, security of the that, transactions, right? The more decentralized you are, the more likely you're going to converge on an honest answer. And like, imagine me and you and a bunch of people um, were building a weather oracle, yeah. which meant we were trying to like build a mechanism that reported the weather in a decentralized way. So... Um, and if we we all get the right answer or the majority, um, uh, we make money. Yeah. Okay. We can all communicate. Uh, we're like, look, f- like fuck, like looking at the weather and like measuring this shit and whatnot. Yeah. We're all gonna just put twenty three degrees, and we all put twenty three degrees every day, and we collect money. Yeah. Now imagine we're still friends, and we still want to collude, but imagine we can't communicate. Yeah. And we're all sitting in our apartments. We can't communicate with each other. We're all playing this game. We need to converge on the weather. What's the most likely way for us to converge on the right answer? Some sort of democracy. We report the truth. Yeah. I go outside and I measure the weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you're going to go outside and measure the weather. And we're still going to converge on the truth. So um, the more participants you have that can't communicate or don't trust each other, the more likely you're going to converge on the truth because it's like the game theory Right. Uh, this, it's the most sensible thing to do to win. So, so everybody's going through the effort of trying to figure out the best game theory that would maintain the security based on human uh, emotions, uh, selfish uh, desires, instincts, yeah. whatever it is. And that's what's uh, what's when it comes down to the business and to, to the different to the competition between these different solutions as they go after new money and shilling their tokens and trying to market it and whatnot. Is the argument behind how this is better than another? Like, you know, yeah, listen, yeah. Byzantine fault is better than uh, proof of... Uh, so, how, uh, so, so is, this, is this just all marketing hype or does it actually have... A, I, I think a lot of it is marketing hype because with the, with the um, exception of throughput... What's wrong with Bitcoin? What's wrong with it? It's never actually been hacked or... It's never been hacked. No, no security issues have ever been yeah, raised, though. Yeah, like minus the DAO incident, which is like just shitty code. Yeah. Um, like not shitty code obviously it's something i can't do so like <laughs> uh, what, what, what happened there so um in ethereum's very early days um they created the first project ever created was like ironically called the dao yeah the decentralized autonomous organization and i think it was meant to like invest in other like cryptocurrencies and protocols and make money for everyone or something okay and they raised like something like 150 million dollars that's 2017 yeah okay 2016 or 20 yeah 2016 i think yeah um and they got hacked like almost immediately and the 150 million dollars were drained oh really yeah and it was just like someone like miscoded and then there was like this huge debate like what do we do like if if they let it slide um ethereum would have died then and there so they funded it no they subsidized it they made a decision to like let's say they were on block number a thousand they were going to go back to block number 500 before the da- the hack happened. They were going to like use a time machine and go back to an earlier state of the blockchain. This actually, is this actually happened? This actually happened, yeah. How, how did you... Un- so if I had an Ethereum wallet as on MetaMask, 
Would yeah. I have seen my numbers go it back? It would have gone back in a, like a time machine. Like I, one day I open my wallet, it has, I don't know, 100 Ethereum. The next day it has yeah. 25. I, don't, I haven't done these transactions and it's just Ethereum I, having pulled it back? I don't know how they dealt with like affected parties, but I think there was such a few number of participants at that point that um, they managed to figure out what they were going to do. Because that would be crazy. Like, if the whole thing is yeah, decentralization, imagine, but... Imagine you just went back last week, man. I would be so pissed. So some no, actually, last week, like, with the markets now. And yeah. <laughs> um, no, but it's the quantities of the coins, not their prices. But um, but even the quantities, like, the whole point of decentralization is that whatever is on my MetaMask is on my MetaMask. It, it can never change, unless yeah, yeah. I've done something when I was drunk at some but, point. So, funnily enough, uh, some people agreed with you. They believed that code is law. Bless you. you. <laughs> we'll edit it out. Yeah. <laughs> or we keep it in for because COVID. <laughs> for okay, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so some people believe that, like, no, you shouldn't be able to reorganize the blockchain. That kind of fucking defeats the purpose yeah. of having a blockchain. Yeah. You know, like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they disagreed. So some of the people mining Ethereum uh, rolled back and went to an earlier block. And this is ETH. And other people are like, we're not rolling back. We're going to keep going. Um, so the blockchain split in two. So you have Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. And that's why it's called Ethereum Classic. Wow. Yeah, right. that's where and Ethereum hold Classic... Hold the phone, Lenny. This is going to get into a philosophical discussion right now. Uh, that, By the way, full disclosure, I don't expect you to be an expert on it or somebody with a particular theory yet. We were just thinking about this together, Yanni, because uh, it's, it's something that I think... I don't know if anybody even has an answer for that question, but it's like if, if rollback is even an option, doesn't this defeat the whole purpose? Because all it means is that a bunch of people who can control the code or can get their keys inside the code can just change th- history, undo a certain event because they, be- they believe, whatever reason. So my biggest fear is like, like let's imagine like more than, like l- let's say like 65% of hash power for Bitcoin ends up on American uh, soil. Yeah. And then, um, you know how you have sanction lists now? Yeah. Um, Iran, Yeah, you'll create, you'll tell American miners that if they want to continue mining in the States, or even you give them subsidies or whatever, you incentivize them in a certain way, either with reward or consequence. And you tell them these addresses, you're not allowed to approve any transaction from these addresses. What happens? The miners continue to create valid blocks and they continue to validate them. And since they're 60%, they don't need anyone else. Um, And they're doing it at a rate faster than anyone else. So their blocks are getting confirmed. And now Bitcoin has like a blacklist and a blacklist provided by the US government. Like... So it can actually get hijacked like that. I think it's going to. Like, I don't think it So can. this whole thing about decentralization, I mean, well, because, oh my God, we're, we're getting into very muddy waters yeah. right now, but, the, the, you know, because at one point, Jack Dorsey was all about how Bitcoin is the decentralized all-be-all, um, but then all Web 3.0 is hijacked by the venture capitalists. Yeah. However, it sounds to me like even Bitcoin, I mean, who, to the extent that somebody can access the code, by the way, it means yeah. that they can like an undo an event based on certain uh, hand-holding, uh, what do you call it? Not hand-holding, like uh, yeah. putting their hand behind their yeah, back, yeah. their wrist behind their back. Yeah. Any, uh, so so if, some, if a certain entity can eventually control the mining and therefore the upgrades to the chain or even rolling it back that can that defeats almost scare i would rather have the centralized banks do that yeah so like um it boils down to what's the probability of that happening and the more decentralized it is um the, the less, less the likely probability. right like let's imagine um 
China's, let's say they didn't ban Bitcoin, but so let's pick someone else. Let's pick Russia. Let's say Russia was hugely invested in Bitcoin and they see that like the US's hash power is now approaching 50%. What's their game theory best thing to do? Start mining Bitcoin. Start trying to get like the hash power back down, you know, so that while the state is approaching a majority, they start building up capacity to ensure they don't get that majority. Wow. So like there's like a... Actual war a game, game theory. Yeah, so some guy in Macau told me this in like 2017 and I thought he was a crazy person. I was like, oh, this guy's an idiot. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, like now that we're closer to like mass adoption, I can imagine a scenario in which that happens. Like a country's overexposed and it doesn't want concentration risk and it's a pretty like wealthy country r- relative to the world. Um, yeah, their best strategic move is to mine Bitcoin. At one point, I was watching the pump, that, and that was like a year and a half ago, and he was talking about the possibility of uh, having uh, actual war over Bitcoin. Like, the same way there's real war in life over yeah. real money, like in oil and resources, like suddenly, and that's why I'm telling you, the m- most, and I think the most bullish thing that can happen to Bitcoin's price right now is a sort of like headlines chasing of France buys, I don't know how much Bitcoin, or yeah. it wouldn't be France, it would be the EU or some shit, like, like yeah, consolidated. Yeah, good enough, like Romania. China, Russia, you know, it would be like geopolitically, like the kind of thing that you would hear about with, with, with a, a race almost on Bitcoin, because nobody's yet... Because I think there's also a little bit of a, a, an avalanche, no pun intended, Danny, <laughs> of, of events that would happen if China goes and says, we just bought $5 billion worth of Bitcoin. And the then Russia says, I bought 10 And suddenly, like 20% or not even 50% of Bitcoin's uh, entire supply is in the hands of countries' treasuries. That would not be good for Bitcoin, but it would put fucking Bitcoin's price at $10 million, Danny. I worry less about who holds the most. Actually, yeah, no, that's worrying too. But also, like, who controls it? Like, the miners, for me, like, they're everything. Yeah. Um, and that's actually something that's super bullish for Bitcoin, that China banned it and it moved, like a bunch of the hash power moved to the states. Because like, say what you want about the states. At the end of the day, like, I'd rather hash power was there than in China, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I think democracy and transparency. Thank you for that. Otherwise, there's some level yeah, of... Yeah, some yeah. some level. I think they got downgraded from like a democracy to a partial democracy recently. So I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> By, who, by whom? Uh, like there's an agent. There's an agency for everything. <laughs> <laughs> but not to take a tangent, yeah. But, but I, you're right. I would rather take it a, a fucked up democracy over a, a potentially ethical. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, but yeah. So like, um, I don't know. Like, uh, I think when Jack Dorsey, like everything is ultimately centralized because there's like an incentive to do so, um, and I think. Um, like you're you're better off betting on Bitcoin being decentralized than anything else. Yeah. Like don't forget that, especially if Ethereum moves to proof of stake, who's dictating? The stake and the validators and the yeah, like the person who has the most Ethereum, sure, is the strongest in a system like that. Yeah, um, and um, I think the founders kept like fifteen percent. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a sizable amount, fifteen percent amongst seven people or something. So, um, and yeah, they're all US based, I think. Uh, so is this Vitalik and Co? Vitalik, Joseph, the consensus guy, Joseph Lupin. Uh, oh, the guy from, uh, what do you call it? Consensus? Yeah, yeah. The Joseph Lupin, I think. Right. Um, and um, uh, Charles, 
your your buddy Huskinson. Yeah, yeah, he's the founder. I mean, full disclosure. I think this guy's. I mean, now that I've actually, uh, yeah, it did. was a good trade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, you made everyone made money on uh, Cardano. Was a good trade, and everybody because I, I think at the time when I posted about it, it was at point four, and I sold at one point four. That's nice. Uh, and 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 I was, dude. I paid. I think Georgia. I owe Georgia money for something, and and I paid her like. Uh, Basically, she she has like thirty thousand dollars worth of Cardano, and I was like, "How much did I how much did I owe? I thought I thought I owed like three thousand bucks or something." Yeah. And she has like thirty thousand dollars worth of Cardano. I was like, "In a Get year, <laughs> what the fuck?" Get like pumped. <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of like um, the temporary hype. I don't mind because I think everything corrects in the long run. Yeah. But the one that the thing that scares me the most about the space is like think about HD DVD and Blu-ray. Okay. Okay, so HD DVD, like I think most people agreed, was like probably a better technology. Mm-hmm. I think it was more affordable. I don't know why it was better, but they were actually roughly the same thing. But what what Sony did with Blu-ray is a they made the PlayStation Three a Blu-ray player, so now okay. everyone had a blue play player at, Blu-ray <coughs> player at home. You know, anyone who had a PS Three at least. So that was huge. And then they made deals with like the the distributors and the uh, movie studios and stuff. Yeah. That like they were going to release on Blu-ray. Okay. And then Blu-ray won. And it wasn't a technological win. It was a win that was kind of like just randomly based on um, like marketing. You know, marketing and strategy. Yeah. And that's kind of the bigger fear that maybe a chain wins and it's not meant to win. It was just marketed better. Yeah, or it was like strategically well. I think this is well exactly what's going to happen. Actually, yeah, but then um, it's a sad fact that so technology is a huge meritocracy because users don't care what something is built on or who built it; they care right. that it works. Yeah, but in some cases, even in some cases, it ends up not being a meritocracy, and that's kind of something that's scary. Because imagine like a, a chain like winning, and it's like just not better. Look, it's already happening from an investment perspective for different forces that are unfair uh, from like the founders owning too much of the coins like with Charles. The reason Cardano is so high is it has a strong community, but also I think he owns a lot of the coins. So it'll never go below, uh, I mean, uh, under the current circumstances, under a dollar. Uh, so so on, Cardano managed to, for one reason or another, build this marketing hype and the community and the founder is quite charismatic for the average person. I mean, I thought he was charismatic when I first started listening to him, but then Haram, I, I, I don't know what to believe. Charles Hoskinson looks, sometimes feels like a sad, desperate soul uh, and sometimes he sounds really genuine and he knows what yeah, the fuck so he's the, talking the, about. The, you the know? problem I have with him is like, I think there was a book or like a short, like, I don't know if it's an article or a book or something, but about like the founders and like what they were going through, the Ethereum founders. At the time, you mean? Yeah. And um, apparently like Vitalik <coughs> was touted as too much of like a Mother Teresa, like he wanted to save the world. Yeah. Like he was not capitalistic enough. Yeah. And Charles was super capitalistic. So then when Cardano launched with like the... Uh, goal and mission of like banking the unbanked and whatnot like it felt disingenuous irony at its best yeah, and have you not seen his tweet where like he's tweeting to metamask and he's like hey metamask can i get help with something and they're like please contact support and then he tweets uh are you telling the ethereum co-founder the founder and ceo of iohk the founder of Cardano to contact support. This actually happened. On yeah, Twitter? yeah. Look it up because it, honestly, it's <laughs> hilarious. And he's apologized for it and stuff. But like, no, he's a douchebag. Right. And you have to look up this tweet because it's like so embarrassing. <laughs> uh, Charles uh, uh, MetaMask tweet. 
there's the uh, hopefully it'll take me straight there. Um, oh, just scroll down. Hey guys, PM could please reach out to support Amitamask. We'll be sure to return the favor. We are also building a cryptocurrency with the Chrome extension. Wait. No, I think by the way, like he must have like done this himself to like search engine optimize this so people can't find it. Really? But um, go to images, it's probably like screenshotted by someone. Yeah. Uh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Wait. Where'd it go? Yeah, just go back and zoom in on that. Yeah, you can now oh wait. Damn it. Sorry, one Oh second. yeah, so he NFT'd it and sold it. Oh, he actually, you're telling the CEO of IOHK, founder of Cardano and Ethereum, to use a support email. Just wanted to ask about the Chrome delisting. He actually posted that? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. Yeah, what an asshole. But see, there is some irony to the fact that he got, I mean, him and uh, Vitalik uh, basically uh, didn't get along to, for uh, the fact that he was greedy from a financial, like the, that he was a capitalist and that was the reason he left Twitter, uh, Ethereum to go and start Cardano which is so but he is charismatic man and he goes as far as putting himself on yani, YouTube streams on the daily ask me uh, ask me anything type uh, streams um, and he's eloquent he goes on the Lex Friedman podcast the guy is doing all the shit um, and it almost feels like he, he believes this shit so much yani, to the point where like either he believes it himself and and by the way, one thing to be clear about about Cardano and Charles Hoskinson, he he hates people who are shilling the coin and who are betting on the coin for its price and who are not in Cardano. And I don't know to what extent he's doing this just to yeah, kind of sound like it's, he's. It's for sure, for sure. Yeah, but but like you know, you can't blame the guy for telling you. Listen, if you're in this for the money, you don't get into it. Like you know, he, you know, like and if it's if if he knows exactly what he's doing, which is that all it does is make people yeah. buy more coins. So I'll talk to you. Listen, listen, listen. If you're not convinced, don't put it Like we're friends. Ah. I'm going to go to Africa. I'm going to go to Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't, know, خلاص. Don't make it for money. Like no, no, no. <laughs> you know, but hot masarik, but listen, listen. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what's happening, huh? Yeah, man. And honestly, that's why I was telling you, like, the space is dirty. Like, the space is actually dirty. And if you read like the original Satoshi emails, and you have to remember, I think it's the NSA. So, like, uh, uh, you didn't mention that. Okay, actually, look this up. And I don't really think it's the NSA, but kind of look this up right. and Google how to make a mint cryptographically enforced digital currencies. How to make a mint crypto cryptography? Yeah, maybe, maybe that'll do it. Um, the cryptography of anonymous electronic cash. Yeah, yeah. That white paper. Um, okay. And zoom in at the top. Yeah, like to the table or? Yeah, yeah, no, but look at who it's written by. Go up to the top. Yeah, look at under how to make a mint, who it's written by. Loris Law, Susan Sabat, Jerry Solinas. National Security Agency, Office of Information Security, Research and Technology. <laughs> Cryptology look Division, 18th of June, 1996. Okay, and then like scroll down and just like, you know, look at... What is electronic cash, a cryptographic description, proposed offline implementations, summary of proposed implementations, optional features of offline cash, security issues, there's conclusions, references. Is there like a recommendation for something? like a? So it's a schema for an, a digital cash. And it, honestly, it doesn't say much because a lot of people have been working on this since like the late 80s. Yeah. Um, so like it's... But... The fact that the wow. NSA have a white paper written in 1996, 13 years before the Bitcoin white paper um, on digital cash kind of says that they were probably at least proficient in the subject. 
Okay, so so what how, what would that conspiracy theory, if it would be be like? Like they they wrote it in 1996, and then I guess 10 years, 11 years later, they commercialized it. Okay, if you want to go like, and the they didn't really commercialize it. It doesn't. I mean, it really only just took off the last couple of years. I mean, um, in reality. Like I don't know. Um, like honestly, like if I had to like invent dubious speculation totally no, no, 100% no, no. like ah. I'd rather leave it at that because if I go down the rabbit hole like I lose all legitimacy for the flat rest of earth the podcast <laughs> do, you, do you think the earth is flat by the way I mean is this what you're saying <laughs> no but this is where it goes this is where it goes uh, this is where it gets exciting man. Fuck it. yeah like all, all I'd like to point you know, out the best part. we could choose to keep this in or not <laughs> like, yeah we'll edit it later or not like or not the high outlandish way. <laughs> like the whole anti-vax part like let's like, Nothing COVID related, you know. I'm a business. I want to keep my clients, <laughs> you know. Listen, like PC, viewers. try yeah, to be PC, yeah, bro. Yeah. Or we um, could just choose to keep the whole thing, basically. All right. So, so you know, go ahead and tell. I mean, like, they, okay. No, like so just full the, so let's just remind, the, reiterate the context. The NSA has written a 1996 white paper on how to make. Uh, it's titled "How to Make Amend the Cryptography of Anonymous Electronic Cash." And it's got everything in it about security and implementation and everything else in between. If you scroll down, like, the thing is with cryptography, like, the terminology is consistent, like, all the way from, like, the 70s. You know, like, it's always A to B, so Alice to Bob, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, so, like, the to- right, terminology yeah. is similar, but, like, that doesn't say anything because, like, the, technolo- the, the terminology is uniform in this community. Um, and this literature, so I, I just make sure you, we don't pa- get past the part where you talk about how do you think how do you th- how does this all fit into like a a conspiracy theory? Let's let's accept okay. it is a dupious dubious, dupious dupious <laughs> conspiracy theory. You're Go gonna, for it. Um, how is NSA related into all of this and to Bitcoin? Um, th- like, let's not focus on that, but let's like focus how this could be useful yeah. for our government. Yes, you know that's like much more rooted in common sense, at least. Bring it. So one way it could be useful for a government, you can move large amounts of money for you know like CIA operations or whatnot, and it's anonymous and it's easy to do. It's off record uh, to n- non uh, mature participants. Mm-hmm. Um, that's w- one use. Another use could be. Um, like a great use actually like in 2017 um, uh, the the US had started like quantitative tightening right like yeah. um, they had printed a bunch of money in tw- 2008 like austerity stuff not really austerity as much as it's like just um, removing money from the economy oh okay you know so how does the Fed do that is it sells like you know like treasury bills at a discount and a bunch of people buy that money and you take money supply out of um, or you sell assets that ha- they had bought that was distressed before back to the corporations and they take money out of the economy that way. Yeah. Um, but let's say like Bitcoin and the entire crypto economy crashes by like $400 billion and you printed like $2 trillion. Well, you know, that's like $400 billion less to worry about. Like the price was here and now right. overnight it's disappeared and $400 billion worth of value, maybe not all that value was put in, but a lot of value was put in that you just disappeared. A bunch of people buy Bitcoin, they pump real money into Bitcoin, and then Bitcoin's price drops, and that money is like now you can get less money out. Right, yeah. And there is like a zero sum game, like someone is buying from someone and whatnot, but a lot of value just does really disappear like sure, when you sure, think about sure. it. Yeah. Um, it's like if people buy Bitcoin right now as it's crashing, it's just all the money that would have went in at a higher price type. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, it's a good form of quantitative tightening, I guess. Um, 
And then, yeah, like this could be very useful for a government. If you're the U.S. government, let's say, and you've studied history and you've seen that the average reserve currency lasts like, you know, 60 to 120 years, you know, you became the reserve currency like, you know, pretty much in the like maybe post-World War II for sure. But like it was like the U.S. was the biggest economic powerhouse by the 1900s and was the absolute powerhouse by 1920. So like the dollar was pretty reserve currency-ish. Uh, in, in the lead, lead up so let's say yeah they've been around for like let's say 80 years as a reserve currency yeah you know they're smack dab in the middle of like um but they know. have the petrodollar and they have the biggest economy and all of that yeah, stuff Yeah, but the petrodollar is running out right like oil isn't going to be that relevant for much longer then the treasury bonds and and, and the, the military kind of pro- the military pro- proxy is, whatever the military is. is the last thing that backs the dollar but like something to consider is like all reserve currencies don't last forever yeah. So you might think like, okay, the world is getting digitized. All reserve currencies don't last forever. If there's going to be a new reserve currency, I'd rather it was no one. If yeah. it's not me, it's going to be no one, you know? So then a decentralized currency makes sense, right? Like I would rather no yeah. one controls it than like it's the remnant B, right? Yeah, that's game theory, right? That's the whole point behind it. Basically. Yeah, so like, um, no, like I think like Bitcoin as a government... Also, like, if you want to have another argument for why, like, Bitcoin could be a government, um, like, there are very few massive technologies that have come out in the last, like, 80 years that didn't come out from the U.S. government, including the Internet. Like, the Internet was DARPANET and ARPANET. Like, uh, it was a CIA technology. Yeah, but you know what, by the way, just just take a second and, 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 and think about the world. If actually at some point there's something that leaks that says Bitcoin is tied to the U.S. government. By the way, fucked up world that would be. Yeah, but by the way, like when I was at like the last Bitcoin conference in Miami, I kind of realized like how big of a religion this is. Like if tomorrow it comes out with absolute certainty that Bitcoin is the NSA, everyone be like, yeah, but they invented the internet, man. Like what? They, خلاص, man, it's a religion. They don't give a shit about common sense anymore. Wait, you think Bitcoin is one of those things where people would actually still be behind it, even if it's U.S.? Yeah, they'll find a reason. But it's, it's, the, it's the heart of Bitcoin is that it's I not. I know, I know, but like these people are like not. Well, who's more. these people? You mean like the people who hold Bitcoin? The Bitcoin community kind of sucks. You know, all of the entire crypto economy kind of sucks. Like, go to one conference and you'll see that it kind of sucks. Like, one, you have, like, the bros. Wow. Um, I, I, I think I, I agree with you when it comes to alts and, and the general kind of hype, uh, meme guys, whatever. know When it comes to Bitcoin, man, every person that ever talked about Bitcoin, if you go and tell them, hey, listen, <laughs> proven objectively, and no, this is... No, but a the lot US of them are douchebags. Like, everyone in Bitcoin, like, owns a gun and is an anti-vaxxer. You know, not everyone, no, this is about, <laughs> no, no, but a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know what you mean. You know, I know like what you they're mean. overrepresented relatives of the overall population. As a percentage of the wallet holders. Though. But I hear you, this is, by the way, this, uh, this is, uh, I'm uh, you're in the top position of defending a conspiracy theory of, of, of a government owning Bitcoin, which I really don't think is likely. I don't think so. Uh, exactly, but so, so <laughs> this is a bit of a... No, and I'll give another example. It's easy for me to come and tell you, like, yeah. dude, come on, it's not the government. No, no, but like, you have to remember <laughs> that A to, um, the probability of you believing in another conspiracy theory is you believing in one. You know, yeah. like, and like Bitcoin is kind of based on somewhat of a, cons- not a conspiracy theory, but like that, you know, the world kind of runs on an old financial system yeah. and that old financial system is fucked. Yeah, 100%. Ooh, I actually think if there's any conspiracy going on, it is that not that Bitcoin was started by the government, but that the government is so much in control of Bitcoin as it stands. <coughs> um, I can explain it quite easily how it's like that. Go for it. So like imagine 
you have an equation. It's x plus y plus z equals 100. Uh-huh. What's x? You can't fucking know. You know, x could be anything from point zero 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 one five two to like 100. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's no way of knowing. There is an uncountable infinite number infinity. of options. Yeah, an uncountable infinity. You know, like countable infinity is all the real numbers, like one, two, three, four. You can count it. Uh-huh. Uncountable infinity is all the numbers from zero to one. Where do you start? Zero point zero 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 zero. So, so infin- infinity. Yeah, yeah, but like uncountable okay. infinity. That, I think we need to do an episode on that alone. Yeah, let's yeah. say there's an infinite. Okay, uncountable infinity. <laughs> yeah. To find out when x, y, and z equals hundred, what is x? It's yeah. uncountable infinity. Yeah. So, but then I tell you that uh, z is seventy-five, uh, y is twenty. And you can very easily ascertain that X is five, you know? Um, So imagine that like you have three Bitcoin transactions, right? Um, Who sent what to who? Um, Yeah, but now you know one wallet is Yazan. You know the other wallet is Talal. Mm -hmm. And you see that they've been sending like to this guy every time they record a podcast with him or whatever. Um, And they're like, ah, this is Madanat, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So like... Cryptography is all based around information leakage. You're trying to make information leakage equal to like the math terminology for it is like epsilon, which is like a really small negligible number that you're leaking such little information, it's secure. Um, And yeah, like if all the miners are in the States, all the exchanges are in the States and they have visibility over like 70% of the network, they're going to be able to determine the remainder participants, especially when you overlay like the sophistication of the NSA, the sophistication of the FBI, the sophistication. So of the they have, they, they can see what's going on, but what are the implications of it? What can they do? Imagine the entire financial system moves to Bitcoin, you know, and the US controls like the bulk of transactions, the bulk of mining power and the bulk of exchange volume. A, they have visibility onto the other network. Like they know exactly by name, which every address is, whereas a uh, immature government doesn't. And at the same time, like if they control the hash power, they can probably control the transactions themselves, you know, and block transactions and, and stuff mm. like that. Um, you'd like to think that that would never happen, but that's like a, like that's a possibility. Yeah. Like it, it's not impossible, right? Like we pointed out that like maybe another country starts mining it or maybe a country sees this coming like China and bans it entirely. Yeah. Um, but right. they also banned it because of like coal and like... Um, you know, like capital flight yeah. and a bunch of other reasons. Taib, uh, I have a math question to ask you uh, actually about the infinity. But uh, uh, we, we can wrap up the crypto episode specific- at this at this point. Uh, even though I, I do want to, I, I am going to ask you that question because I don't know if it's like I'm just, okay. Let's get it recorded. But what's the difference between uh, we get it recorded and we we'll see if yeah. we we'll clip it out or do it? You know, what's the difference between countable infinity and non-countable infinity? Okay, all the real numbers in the world, uh, if like one. Two, three, okay. four. Then we get to five, infinity. Six. We can count until a million. Okay, but uh, include the decimals. Start counting. Okay. What's the first number? Same thing. Exactly. I have the same. No, no, I have the same the problem. F- what's the first number? One point zero one. Okay. Where where do I start? You mean? Where How do many you even z- start? How many zeros do you put? Okay. Wow. You can't even start counting. 
You can't even tell me what the first number is. Wow. Wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> it's just blowing my is mind. Is it 0. Right 0. 000, 000, 000, 000, 000. When do you So the fact that you can't spell... Well, well, but this is the same as saying I can't spell out the last number in infinity if I count upwards. But you can count upwards. <laughs> <laughs> you can start counting. Wow. This is... Fuck crypto, man. <laughs> let's talk about... <laughs> we got to talk about math. This is brilliant. This is how you, I've never thought about it, but this yeah, is a great so way like, to understand infinity. By the way, there's like a lot of <laughs> there's a crazy. lot of things with infinity that are really interesting. But yeah, I've, and I thought I saw the videos and I thought I, I thought I, I thought I explored that uh, rabbit hole. But you're right about the fact that how do you even start counting from one to two? What's the next number after one? Is a much better way to understand infinity than to actually say count from one to infinity. Is like where do you start? Like it's a little bit of a, an easier kind of chronological. The same problem, I'm not saying it's a different problem, it's the same problem that we're dealing with, it's just descending versus ascending order. And I find that it's closer to you when it's more descending than it is to imagine it outwards. You know what I mean? Like trying to understand infinity from from the starting point is easier to understand it if you're trying to understand infinity from the, like, as it keeps going. Because so it gets too far yeah. visually as well, so almost. There's like, a, I think it's called, I don't know what it's called, maybe it's called, maybe Herbert's Hotel, but there's also like a dictionary one, so I don't know. Um, but like, let's say you have an infinite number of rooms and you have an infinite number of guests and you get a new guest. Can you accommodate him in a room? And the answer, like if fucking has an answer, oh, I've come this, across that. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. why it's so fucked up. It has an answer. Yes, you can account them. How do you account them? Uh, the guest that's in room one, you move to room two. The guest that's in room two, you move to room two, uh, three. To three and so forth and so forth. And you shift everyone to infinity and you put this guy in room one. That's it. Yeah, so like it's infinity done, plus one plus equals infinity. Yeah. Like, well, but, but the fact that you can't, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit. Uh, so, so basically, so, so the, 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 yeah. So the difference between infinity, uh, countable infinity, and non-countable infinity is that the non-countable infinity includes the decimal point in between real numbers. Yeah, like uh, it can't be counted. It, oh, so then you just. Wow. It's like an, uh, th that set is an uncountable infinity. But it's set. within the it's within the countable infinity, so it's a subset they have of the overlap. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, mm. like it's a set that contains too many elements to, to like even. Uh, be oh, countable. so it just it just makes infinity even more uh, more. Yeah, uh, but it kind of teaches you that there's like maybe like infinity isn't this catch-all be-all, and maybe it has. There's maybe like when we say infinity, like there there's. And in mathematics, they do distinguish. Yeah. There's a really nice paradox that you should watch, like a video on Vsauce about it called the Banach-Tarski paradox. Oh, the Vsauce is awesome. Yeah, it's actually great. Man. <laughs> I think it deteriorated over time and it yeah. became more soundbite-ish because they used to have like 20, 30-minute long videos. But yeah, he has one on this paradox called Banach-Tarski. And it's like a 3D thing, but like, like if you try to simplify it to its lowest elements, like imagine you have a circle. A circle has an infinite number of points. Yeah. So grab one point from the circle, and just like we did with the hotel, um, rotate every other point so that like you move the point, and now you have a gap. Move this point here, this point here, this point here, this point here. And since you have an infinite number of points, you close the gap. Yeah. Cool. But now you have the circle as it was and a point. Yeah. <laughs> okay, do that again. And now you have another point and another point. Okay, and now create two circles. You know, wow. from the same number of, of points, you've created two circles. Ah. And Banak Tarski has that from like wow. a 3D perspective. Um, 
Like, it's such an interesting thing. <laughs> and the cool thing about math, especially when it comes to infinity, is slowly, like, we prove things mathematically, and then we find the real-world application for it. So I think there's, like, uh, a sequence. I think it's... Um, I think it's... Uh, I, maybe it's 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6 plus 7, all the way to infinity, yeah. which you think is a divergent... Uh, it doesn't converge to a number, it diverges to infinity. Uh, Ramanujan, the mathematician, proved that right, it's yes, mi- yes, yes. minus 1 over 12. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. But I, I think I, it's I called the Ramanujan summation. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about, but I, just like, I know I've, 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 been, I've, I've come across it before. But uh, infinity is, 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 is a mind, it's a mindfuck. Yes, yeah, so uh, 1 plus 2 plus 3. It's a negative one over twelve. There's a thing in, uh, fuck. But you know that appears in physics. I'm trying to think. Yeah. So there's a. Is there a Netflix TV show about this? No, I think they made a movie about him. And it's the guy from Slumdog Millionaire. I think. Yeah. Exactly. And and he dies from like hepatitis or some shit. Syphilis. I think. No. uh, Neither. Uh, That long word. No, no, I'm pretty not tuberculosis. Yeah, it is tube, yeah, for sure. Are you sure? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Look it up. Then no, I'm pretty sure like it was syphilis, and I was like annoyed that it's like something that like stupid that killed him. Like uh, syphilis? Uh, yeah, I mean the context of syphilis that we hear of today is an STD. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, he was diagnosed with tuberculosis. I told you. Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. seen the movie. And okay, it's that makes me so much. That makes me feel so much better. So he's the one who figured out that pa- that pattern, but he couldn't prove it. It came more uh, kind of uh, what do you, how do you say? Yeah, it? he uh, wasn't. It was more intuitive. It was yeah. damn. It was more intuitive. Yeah, and it came to him almost like he could, he couldn't explain how he was yeah, able to like write that sequence. Right. He just understood this shit, man. His brain was programmed differently, you know. And if your brains are just like programmed, because he wasn't like that formally educated, like he would write to like Cambridge professors. Or wherever. What was the name of the movie, by the way? Oh, um, just just for any any. Uh, I think sometimes I can forget that there's somebody um, might be listening or in watching. In popular culture. What? No, that's not the name of the movie. Uh, he was mentioned in Goodwill Hunting. Oh, the, the man who the man who knew infinity. Oh, the man who knew infinity. Exactly, the yeah. man who knew infinity. So that's the same guy from Slumdog Millionaire and Lion, by the way, which is if, if you ever fuck man, this movie. And Life of Pi. Yeah, but like Lion. Have you seen a Lion, bro? No, it's again. It's about adoption, and it's like, oh, I'll check it and out. it's a great movie. It's just like you know, and if you watch it on an airplane, like, you know, it's a good airplane movie. It's the kind of movie you would uh, fucking and what you know, you you boil your you boil your eyes out, yeah, and it's it's easy, you know. Anyway, so if, uh, basically, um, he dies out of tuberculosis. Edit the part where I say he dies of syphilis. It's yeah. very ignorant and probably mean, and has some ounce of racism. <laughs> 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 But um, yeah, but, the mo- he, but basically, in this movie, he ends up not figuring out how he's getting to the numbers, and they just the numbers just come to him, and that was like the uh, I mean yeah, and I think he, he like a lot a lot of it is I don't think it just came to him as much as he didn't have the language to be able to tell you why. Um, but in math, that's yeah, not math, for somebody who's doing no, that kind of math. That was the whole problem with the movies. Basically, how are you able to do this kind of math, and you're not able to communicate? Yeah, it, math right? has a lot of intuition. You know, it has a lot of intuition. He's coming up with numbers in in a sequence of yeah, but he sees it. He sees it, um, bro. Like that's crazy. Are you kidding me? Like so, like there's another add numbers to each other and just see them come to you without actually adding okay, them up. So there's like this um, there's this other summation. I think it's one over one squared plus one over two squared plus one over three squared all the way to infinity. Okay, 
And I think that comes to pi squared over six. And it's, it's by wow. Euler. If you're actually right, you're going to blow my mind. No, no, and it is. And if, if you, it has a visual proof. Um, and if you look at the visual proof, and this guy, I think he uses lighthouses or something. It's like a video on YouTube I watched. But um, it becomes, because what the fuck is pi doing here? Pi is associated with, with circles. circles. Yeah. You know, whenever you see pi, nine times out of ten, there's a circle involved. Sure. You know? So why does this infinite set have circles in it? And it has a proof, and it's a visual proof, and you can start understanding, ah, okay, circles do belong here. Wow. Um, so uh, it becomes intuitive. You know, what seems like something hugely unintuitive becomes very, very intuitive. That's so beautiful, by the way. If they can actually find an artistic way to kind of abstract and understand. Ha, ha, have you heard of Euler's identity? I have not. Or Euler's. I don't know how to say his name. Uh, can you look it up? Yeah. E-U-L-E-R <laughs> identity. E-U-L-E-R identity. And then like go to images because someone will have the equation blown up. So they show this equation to mathematicians and their brains light up in the same zones of when you show an artist a piece of art. Wait, hold up. So e to the power of i pi plus 1, one equals 0. So you have the concept of 0. You have numbers. You have the natural log. You have imaginary numbers. And you have geometry in pi. All in a single equation. Euler's identity. It is. Wow. So like mathematicians, their brain light, brains light up as if they saw something beautiful. They, As they try to imagine... Yeah, what so see, the headline says the most beautiful equation. So this is basically the kind of... What, because mathematicians, physicians, they have a certain perspective of numbers. So when they actually try to imagine what this is trying to portray, the most active, the most creative parts of their brain are activated in the yeah. same way that they would be when they listen to like good music. Or yeah, because it's, it's beautiful. It sums up all the branches of mathematics in a very succinct statement. This is the same one as the 137. Remember I told you about the 137 thing and you told me that it's in the... Uh, uh, what's the cartoon called? Uh, the one that you watch with the... Uh, Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty. You said they live on planet 137. Oh, yeah. No, I don't know if that was related. So 137 seems to be another one of those numbers. 137 physics that also kind of... Let me see. Uh, is it a relevant number? It's an approximate denominator of the fine structure constant. So that's what it's called. Nuts. Uh, By the way, man, you know what's... Which is the up? measure of strength of elect electromagnetic force, which is an electron okay. uh, that controls how charged elementary particles such as electrons and... Uh, and it includes in it the speed of light. And one more thing. Uh, where is it? Can you also look up the electromagnetic constant? Because I'm curious. Uh, the, how to... Okay. Uh, with, then there's more to it. One second. Okay, no, so it is the electromagnetic constant. The one it has three other elements into it. Yeah, yeah, one, approximately 1 over 137. Yeah, so what is it, the three elements of it? One of it is the, the force of the, like kind of the, the, the charge of the electron. Yeah. Right? And what are the... Uh, like, it has a bunch of stuff, like Planck's relation. Exactly, so, yeah. so the distance of the... The smallest possible distance. And the speed of light. So yeah. all three of them... Or some put some together, give this 137 kind of... Okay. So there are things in nature... Man, this is what I want to focus on. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. Go, blows go, 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 my go. mind. That there are things in nature that basically... Um, like they're constants. Yeah. You know, the world has fucking constants. In Nuhada, the Excel model, the hard-coded numbers. Yeah. <laughs> there are hard-coded numbers. And oh, it's what it's oh, wait, wait. like as in like imagine the world is a group uh, the world is a code a code base and it's just executing it's code. a model whatever yeah 
There are hard-coded numbers. Oh, so like the ratios, like the golden ratio is one of them? Yeah, but like I think the golden ratio is more like a descriptor. Like it appears in nature. Yeah. But there are laws of the universe like this that run on a constant number. Okay, like give me an example. Um, like uh, let's look up like the list of physics. Yeah, and most things are formulas of, of Newtonian physics. Planck's uh, constant, like the smallest right, possible yeah. distance. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Planck's constant would be that yeah. hard-coded distance of a, what is it, the height, the, yeah, the, 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 uh, the distance of an electron orbital. Yeah, or the sure. mass of a proton, uh, yeah. the mass of an electron is constant. Yeah. You know? um, so the world has constants, and it's so, f- it's fucked. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> why, why is it fucked, though? I mean... Um, it, it, everything should be formula, formula, formulized, basically. You feel like it should all be relative, that if you change this, this changes. Oh, no, but wait, hold on, hold on. I think I just, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume that there is, like, uh, does there is there possibly a bigger force at play? Yeah. Does it make you think there's God around? No, like, but I can see why it could be used as an argument. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and so that makes me uncomfortable <laughs> as well. Um, <laughs> that would be cool, by the way. I mean, that would be open-minded. Man, that would be open, yeah, go ahead. The Newtonian gravity, the Newtonian gravitational constant. You know, yeah, like um, uh, F one equals F two equals g times m one times m two over the ra- radius squared, and there's g. G is always g. And fuck you, man. Sure, g is always g. Akid fi scenario Right, yeah. Uh, and there are like there are like theories that would support something where the constants are different. Yeah, I mean something like uh, the melting point of water in different gravity planets oh, yeah. or different sorry different heights. I mean like, yeah, like this so fine. Shit, so man. so fine, but like you know pr- it's practical to have constancy I mean, in math where <laughs> under under normal <laughs> circumstances if you're on sea level this is yeah, the situation. So, so one theory is like I think that um the universe iterates in this direction or whatnot because this is the only way to get a stable universe. Yeah. You know, maybe you have a billion number, like an infinite number of universes and they have different constants or whatnot. Yeah. And maybe like you only have, again, still an infinite number of universes, but they converge on a particular set of constants that allow for viability. Yeah. Anything else and like it doesn't form a universe. Um, Yeah. uh, But like, yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, uh, on this the- potential theological note, uh, I-, I don't know if we should wrap up. I'm enjoying this, but I think we should. I, I just, just want to pee, basically, the whole point. <laughs> is, I, think, I think we might lose uh, traction. But, dude, thank you so much for coming because uh, f- uh, we're going to have to eventually edit out the part where I thank you for coming. So, was dude, thanks for coming. <laughs> 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 Cheers, man. Cheers. We should make this a series, by the way. No, I think we're going to do this regularly. 100%. Like, let's make our own show. Every time, this is how we're going to okay, hang out. Let's rebrand. You know what? Let's pivot from the podcast. If we don't this release it. <laughs> No, no, I'm having a great time. Let's do it. No, no. Uh, by the way, no joke. Uh, we might potentially, if you're into like doing a series or even a show that is crypto specific or whatever. I just wanted us to talk shit. Let's do it, man. That's you how know? it is. On the, once on the week, it's if you have a Tuesdays, this podcast does whatever. And then on Tuesdays, he's a Barghouti comes the featured. regular guest. Yeah, yeah. That would be awesome, man. Let's do it. Okay, done. Yalla. Peace. Well, thank you so much, Habu. Oh, it's a pleasure.